Welcome to the 14th episode of this Invincibly Supermassive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. My name is Tony Guerrero. I'm the editor-in-chief of Comic Vine. And this week, I have the writer of many of your favorite comics, the writer of an upcoming novel, J.T. Kroll. How you doing? Good, man. How you doing? Pretty good. So, we, we, we got, got a bit to talk. I, I don't even know where... Should we start? Okay. Um, so, last week, we had... Um, Batman Beyond, um, Superman Beyond, come out. Um, I've been re- I'm buying the issues, but I've been reading them digitally. So I know the Lobo part came out because I, I believe the digital um, issue 14 is out. Right. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Now, um, even though the, the comics on my desk, I, I didn't look at it before I came up here. Because like, how how current are the, the the printed and the digital? Like, what's what's the they, you know, it, the schedule changes a little bit, so it's, it's it's hard for me to honestly to keep track of what's out here and what's out there um, in terms of the digital to the print. But it gets it gets pretty close. Well, there'll be a little bit of a gap because what happens is they they in the printed version they shuttle uh, between the Batman Beyond, Superman Beyond, and Justice League Beyond. Um, they shuttle which book in the printed version gets the twenty pages for that month. So you kind of do kind of fall behind. So when you have your two weeks. Of only getting your ten pages out, you know, um, I mean, two months of only having your ten pages out, you kind of tend to fall back a little bit, but then you catch up when you hit the twenty page, when you get your twenty page segment in the book. So um, I'm I'm not as up to sync on which on like where the printed version is compared to the digital one. So because uh, uh, issue twelve of the print um, has the Lobo cover on there, right? And I think that was like issues um, thirteen. And- uh, I think that's twelve and thirteen. 13 and 14. No, thirteen and fourteen. Thirteen and fourteen. Right. I'm, che- I'm cheating. I'm looking at, at Comic Vine right now. You're a better man than me. <laughs> looking at there. So, um, how many? So, okay, you had you said twenty pages. How, how does that translate into the digital pages? Since the format is a little different with the digital. Um, well, the way it works is, I, I guess you liken it to uh, what I call twenty full pages of full comic book pages. And then I guess you could say that the digital format, uh, a half a comic book page is one page in the digital format because you kind of break as you're putting the book together, you kind of break down the digital component. I still write it as say 10 pages of comic, right? Like I said, I'll write 10 pa- a 10 page comic story and that'll be the uh, digital portion but in the digital portion, the way it breaks down is it breaks down to 20 pages because they break that, that page down into two parts, the top half and the bottom half, if you will. So um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. So, I, so when, and then when you, when you see the printed version, it appears as 10 pages because you essentially have, you know, page one would be, uh, ten, page one of the printed version would be page one of the digital version on the top half and page two of the digital version on the bottom half. So... If you think about the printed page um, compared to digital, printed page one would be digital pages one and two. Printed page two would be digital pages three and four. And so, so you kind of have to when you're when you're 
you kind of have to think about it as a writer, but you also have to think about, and you have to think about it more as the artist, like Howard does. You have to kind of imagine this imaginary line across the middle of the page of a printed comic book page where you don't want to have anything vital there, anything cut off. That's why in the printed page you'll see there's a lot of half splashes mm -hmm. because in the half splash format, in the half splash on the printed uh, version, in the digital format, it comes across as like a full, you know, digital page splash. So, um, so it, it kind of kind of breaks down that way. Okay. Um, is there any any reason why um, DC whatever went with um, the the half page for the digital? I mean, is it so like if you're on an iPad, you can I, look I, at it sideways. I, I think it is. I think it's. I think it's so you can have a. A, a large image reveal and kind of that page turn impactful moment so you can have an image that fills that screen. And so uh, it works really good in the digital format. And it works, it works fine in the, you know, it works fine in the print format. It's just, it's funny, like, it was a little bit of an adjustment, like, figuring out how to break the scripts down that way and kind of write. Because, you know, you, if you think about, like, a cliffhanger, you know, at the end of an issue, um, you know, you might have a big splash reveal of Lobo, you know, when he's talking to him, it's like Lobo. Um, whereas when now in the digital format, you still want to have that page turn reveal in the print version. So what I end up, I end up doing, and I've seen the other guys kind of do this a little bit too, is you'll have kind of a, in the printed version, it comes across as like a half splash kind of cliffhanger reveal with uh, another kind of follow-up panel or two, you know? So it's like, like for example, with Lobo, like, you know, you can have like, the page 10 reveal is a shot of Lobo in space. And then like below it is another image of him, but it's closer on him as he's making a snide little comment, you know, where in, in a printed on an, an original printed version, you probably would just have that be one big image. That's a full splash, but in the digital portion, you break it down so that you can still have that page reveal on the printed version. Because if you didn't, and you ended on that like half splash, if you read the printed version, you would kind of have, you would turn to page 10, and at the page turn, you would have two smaller story panels, and then the reveal would be at the bottom of the page. And it doesn't really work. You know, it's like you can't really have a, a reveal on panel three or four of a page. Like, it just that doesn't work that way, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so it required a little bit of, 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 of structuring it a little differently, but, um, but it's a fun format to play in. So, and it actually, you know, like anything, you just have to be economical with your space, and, you know, you have to kind of have a concise and kind of, good sense of breaking down the story in the right in the right way in order to maximize the impact of the visuals now with um superman beyond um it, it always seemed like in the, the original batman like beyond stories in, in the universe you know we didn't see a whole lot of the rest of the universe and, and that was something that i always wonder it's like like where the heck is everyone you know like what happened to wonder woman what happened to flash you know it's like we didn't really get all, all that and it seems like little by little we're, we're seeing more of like what's going on? So so far, you've um, you brought in uh, Solomon Grundy, and you know you, you've touched on like Lex Luthor and his legacy, um, mm -hmm. Martian Manhunter, and now Lobo. Is was was there ever like like a like a, a list like you can use these characters, you can't use these characters? Is there like anyone that's that's? I mean, you don't have to give specifics, but was there like anyone that was like off limits? Like, there's definitely people that are off limits because there's definitely people that aren't around anymore, and I don't know if they're really going to come out and say like, oh, this person's dead and this person's dead. I mean. For me, it was a little different because, um, you know, with with Batman Beyond, you know, you had Bruce and then you have Terry kind of taking over the reins, and and a lot of the Bat family is still around. You know, Dick Grayson's still around and whatnot, and you know, and, and then there's these like newer versions of like you know the villains and whatnot. 
Um, with Superman, you know, everybody around him is pretty much gone. You know, Lois is dead. Perry's dead. You know, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's kind of out of the picture. Um, and, uh, you know, Lex Luthor, his main nemesis is gone, you know? So you kind of had, you know, I, I kind of, when I started writing the book and started putting it together, I was thinking about like, wow, this guy, you know, doesn't really have his supporting cast anymore. And that ended up being kind of a focus of the first arc where it's, the problem with Superman isn't that, and where he is, not problem in writing, but as a character in his world, his problem isn't that Superman isn't needed anymore, which is what he feared. It's more that, and not that Superman lost his place in the world because there will always be a need for Superman and there will always be a need for someone to, to fill that role. The problem was Clark Kent lost his way because no one's around. His family, his whole support system, everything's, everything's gone. You know, even the newspaper's gone. You know, he's not even a new reporter anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the first arc was really about him trying to figure out what does he do now? You know, does he, you know, everybody's gone. Like, how did he stay connected to the world? And so that's how we kind of, you know, segued him getting into becoming a firefighter and, and giving him, you know, the new identity of Cal Kent so that we can kind of reestablish a sense of a alter ego and a, you know, a human role, if you will, within the story. Now, that- uh- and then just to take him away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, you know, Cal Kent became a firefighter, and you know that's something that we saw. I think it was just like two issues of, of Grant Morrison's action comic. Was was that something that was like a coincidence? The, the, I don't know who who did who came up with the idea first. It actually was a coincidence. Is from on my end. I I mean, for whatever it's worth, I came up with the firefighter idea. As a fire and, and came up with it, I'm sure Grant is a much more talented writer than I. So I'm sure you know he stole your idea. He had that. I'm sure he had that idea long before I ever thought of it. Um, but it wasn't a matter of us trying to like. I didn't know that he was making him a firefighter in the story, and it wasn't a matter of us trying to draw any sort of connection or parallel. It wasn't any sort of plan to like you know of synergy between the DC New Fifty Two and the DC Beyond universe. So. Um, so we, I guess, if you, I guess you could say we both kind of came upon it upon our, came upon it on our own, and and you know used it in our story. Great minds think alike. Yeah, but there's this part of me where it's just like when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's cool, and then I was like, oh man, everybody's gonna think I just got it from him, and then it's just like, well, well we got it, got it set here. You, you came up with the idea first. I'm not gonna say I came up first. I'm, I'll I say that. Independently, <laughs> because actually, and the other thing, and not that you know what I think my stories. I wrote the arc like way in advance. I mean, that's one thing with the digital end is that you write it like well in advance. Like I'm already done. Like I've written all the second arc. The second arc's done on my end. You know, like I've done all the writing part. I, you know, I do the revisions when the art comes in for dialogue and whatnot. But I wrote the last, you know, I wrote the last, the last issue of the current Superman arc. I wrote in October. Wow. So just to give you a sense about how far in advance I was doing the work. So. Again, this isn't supposed to be some disclaimer where I'm trying to make sure people know I didn't steal the idea from Grant, but I didn't steal the idea from Grant. <laughs> um, so, so now you know we're briefly seeing Martian Manhunter. Are we going to see anyone else? I mean, do you like the idea of, of bringing in you know familiar characters, or do you, would you rather just like I'm going to create my own and you know keep it in the, this timeline? I, I like both, actually. You know, I mean, it's 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 fun creating. It's, look, it's fun creating characters, and it's fun when you can add something to the to the mythos of these characters. Like, I I really enjoyed 
And it was a great thrill for me to be able to create Solstice for the Teen Titans. Like that was something special because I felt like I was adding something to the, you know, and the fact that, that Solstice, even though she appears a little different and they're doing different things with her, like the fact that that character is continuing on, like I like that. I mean, it's, it's cool to see. Because um, of course you want to see your stuff kind of keep going. Um, at the same time, you know, part of the reason you work on, I mean, the main reason you work on DC or Marvel or whatever properties is because you want to play with their toys, you know, so you know, who wouldn't want to play with Martian Manhunter and, and Lobo and, and Solomon Grundy? Um, but, you know, it, it's all about what services needs. I mean, you know, it's tricky when it's Superman Beyond, and it's the same thing I'm sure goes on with like Batman Beyond, when you have one of the more popular characters who's got a few other titles. Like, you want to try to make sure that you're not, you know, like, if if if, if Grant had just used Solomon Grundy and, 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 and done a Lex Luthor-type story, you know, I would be less inclined to do one because it's like, well, they're, they, they're doing that in that book, you know, and so you kind of have to be aware of, of what's going on. So you're not, you know, like I remember, I remember a few years ago, we were, we did a, I did a crossover, the Teen Titans did a crossover with Red Robin and, and, uh, uh, the calculator was, was, was the main villain. And, uh, and it was great and it was a lot of fun, but then I didn't know it at the time, but it, and it ended up being just by, just cause these things happen. The, that he was the main villain in like two other books that month independently. So there was this one month where three books had <laughs> villain being the main nemesis for him. And it's just like, you just don't want to see that. You know, you want to kind of be able to kind of have, you know, kind of want it to have a showcase on your own and, and, and let it kind of be. So it's not like, Oh, it's, you know, it's Lex Luthor month and he's the villain in every book. Unless that's something that, you know, that that's tying in where it's like, it's a direct storyline, but you know, so, but, uh, but yeah, but Martian Manhunter, I really like, um, he's, and, and I try to pick people that either relate to Superman or Superman can relate to or that kind of play off of him in, in, in some way, like Martian Manhunter also being an alien and also being kind of, you know, removed. But he seems to be able to just kind of go with the flow and, you know, he's still, the, you know, he's a private investigator and he's kind of, and we don't get a ton into it, but it's just a sense of like, he's comfortable in his skin. He's comfortable in who he is and, and whatnot. And compare that to Superman in the same sense of going back to the last arc, you have Solomon Grundy, who is another kind of immortal figure, if you will, and, and kind of carving out his own place. And so a, 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 someone from Superman's past, who's kind of been there the whole time as well and can, can kind of relate and you can kind of just play them off each other, which is kind of fun. Now, I don't know if you have the answer to this, but has it, I mean, is is this universe considered a separate Earth, or because you know Grant Morrison kind of, and I, I think it was in Batman Seven Hundred, where he kind of sort of makes a connection between, you know, the right, and this was a pre New Fifty Two, so it, it maybe doesn't even matter now. But he he made the connection between the regular DC universe and the Batman Beyond because when we saw Terry McGinnis mentioned, right is. Is is that just like kind of hanging in the air? Because I, I mean, I, obviously, with the future stories, you know, DC is not going to say, "Okay, this is absolutely for sure what's going to happen in the future." So, I mean, are you like, right. yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't write this story with that in mind. I mean, I look at it as that it's a different universe. I look at it as it's a, it's its own beast. How DC sees it and how they're planning on moving forward with it, I'm not. I, I don't. You know, that's that's above my pay grade, and that's not really my decision. Um, but when I, as far as the stories I do, I'm not really worried about the canon of the New Fifty Two or whatnot and how that kind of plays into it. Because, like the other thing, like if you are going to take another character and 
because in a new 52, you know, we're, with some characters, we're seeing slight differences. And, you know, we can talk about that in, in, in a second. So it's like, like Solstice, for example, you know, she's the same, but essentially different now. And if you were to use a character like that, I, I mean, I, I guess there's ways around it because, you know, since so much time has passed, you don't really need to get into how different they may have become in their early days. Because if we're talking, you know, however many years later, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. But is is that something, I mean, would you want to steer away from a character that might possibly have a different origin now in the new 52? I wouldn't want to steer away from it. It's just a matter of what, what I want to do with it. Like, you know, I mean – it boils down to what you know what again what characters you can play with and what you can do with them and if there, there's a if there's a character who's been tweaked in a way that makes it more interesting to use in the new version reflecting the new 52 origin then i'm more than happy to do that but if i can use the pre new 52 you know history um uh and continuity and play off that, then I then I'll do that if I can. If it works for the story that I'm trying to tell, you know. Um, so I mean that that that's kind of how I look at it. And a lot of times, you know, you're you know, not all the characters. I mean, that's one of the things that I think that 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 Batman Beyond has going for it is that Bruce is like the the you know the the anchor from the past, whereas Terry is there. That's why using Terry is kind of the the conduit, you know, the the host for it. Um, you get to kind of tell stories and you're kind of kind of free and clear of that a little bit, you know, because it's a new character and, and, and it's like a, it's like when you do legacy characters, you know, you can kind of play with them a little more because they're not you don't have to worry about it being so connected. Now, um, one thing that I've always been confused about and it's so silly, I mean, I, I could totally look it up. But my question is with with um, Barda in the, the Beyond universe is like, how does she relate to the original Big Barda? Because are they the same or is it or a different? As far as I know, I don't think they're the same. I, I didn't think, think so. Different, but I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know if it's a daughter or a you know a niece or a you know she was genetically manufactured on, on Apocalypse with using you know Big Barda's uh, DNA. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, the good thing about comic books is there's a whole host of ways it can happen. So there's not a there's not one way to get point A to point B. So. Um, but yeah, it seems to me that it seems to me that all of the Justice League Beyond characters, if I remember if I'm using I'm, I don't have them all in front of me, but like they're all offshoots of that legacy again, like a legacy character. Like the Hawkman's not because the Hawkman's not the Hawkman, right? It's not Carter Hall. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be him. I forget who I'm I'm totally blanking on who his his mom was supposed to be, but But it's but not Yeah, yeah it's 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 a different character. Right. It's a different character. So I mean I think that's I th- and I think, I, I, and that's that's one of the other reasons why I kind of look at this as being like a different universe because because it seems like steps are being taken to make it make it different from the continuity. But again, this is just my own viewpoint of it. This is not necessarily this is not to be taken as the uh, official word from DC. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I just looked him up. He's John Stewart and Shahira's kid. There you go. And see, okay. And I'm also looking. See, thanks to Comic Vine. Um, <laughs> the, I guess at at some point, you know, and, and this isn't official, but Earth Twelve was the animated universe. Okay, so that's where all those stories existed. But again, Grant Morrison, who you know, kind of does what he wants, made made that that connection. Because right. like, like in um the the recent Action Comics, he he um 
showed the, the, the Superman statue from after he was, and he referenced doomsday. Mm-hmm. And what, what I thought was, was strange is the statue had Superman with the, the shorts with his, his underwear on the outside. So it's like, that never happened in a new 52, but then by putting that statue and unless, you know, we still have two more issues of Grant Morrison, unless he's going to do some, some weird, you know, crazy twist or something like that. It's like, when would Superman have, have, have worn that outfit? So it's, I guess he does what he wants. That's what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I'm also looking on, on with, with, with Barda and I don't think, cause you know, our, our, our site is all, you know, wiki based and, you know, everyone creates, you know, stuff characters but there there isn't a separate page for the beyond barda so, they just put the same thing yeah people have been using that one and and that's that's I'm, I'm glad to hear it because I, I always thought it's like is it just me where i'm not really clear if it is her because I, I never really thought it was her because she you know she does seem younger so maybe and the honest truth is dustin and Derek could tell you something completely different you know maybe yeah. they're like oh she's probably the same person and we're like oh okay yeah <laughs> Because again, you don't, they're not hearkening back to it. So it's just like, you know, it's kind of trying to make it kind of clean and accessible. So it's not like, you know, they're having, even if it is the same one, it's not like she's referencing, you know, stuff that happened, you know, 50 years ago. And the other interesting thing, um, which I, I thought about just, just now is um, because you used Solomon Grundy and what James Robinson told us when, cause you know, he's on our, our, our regular podcast frequently that, um, on Earth Two, he he's not a, technically like quote unquote allowed to use a character that exists on the New Fifty Two Earth. So, and it's supposed to go like both ways. So, because he did a story with Solomon Grundy, we're not supposed to be able to see Solomon Grundy in the New Fifty Two books. Right. So. Right. But, so there you go. But they let you use it, so you're bridging the gap now. So. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm an anomaly. It's yeah. Universe is an anomaly. <laughs> uh, so let, let's. What, what's your thoughts on on the the differences of solstice now? Um, I mean, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to let people go and do their thing with it. I mean, the the solstice I created wouldn't really work within the storyline of what they're trying to do. Um, for me, the whole point of solstice coming onto the team and the whole point of her existence was that. All of the Teen Titans all had very, very dark, tragic stories about, you know, they're getting their powers or what happened to them. I mean, you have, you know, Connor with the test tube and being Hephalix Luthor. You have, you know, Tim Drake with having his, you know, his father killed by Boomerang and you can't Boomerang. And you have, uh, you know, Damien, if you want to include Damien, he's an assassin's kid and all that sort of stuff. And you have, you know, the Wonder Girl pass. And like everybody's, you know, they're just Ra- Raven, of course, and, and Ravager, like, it's it's always like I was imagining this a scene I never got to write, but um, I kind of touched on a little bit was this notion of like having like Raven and Ravager and Damien and, and everybody sitting around talking about like kind of like who's got the crappiest father <laughs> <laughs> and like trying to outdo each other about oh yeah you think your dad sucked my dad sucked way worse my dad's my dad's an assassin oh yeah well my dad's a demon <laughs> he's he's like the devil almost uh, he is almost the devil literally. Um, and so what I wanted to do was wanted to bring someone with a little bit of light to the team, somebody who who came from a more positive aspect and and had a more uh, positive experience with her powers and with 
the acceptance of her powers and her her experience, and 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 had kind of lived a, if not charmed life, at least had lived with a kind of more optimistic and more. Uh, I mean, you could you could say naive, but but came from a more uh, more optimistic and light place where. So it was about bringing her along so she could bring light to the team, and and literally and also metaphorically and and provide that. Uh, so you know when you do the new Fifty Two Teen Titans and it's they're all prisoners and they're all being tortured and you know and whatnot. Like obviously you know she can't really exist in the same way. And maybe and and I don't know, but maybe Scott's idea was that you know, the way that she was in my book is the way she was before they caught her and this happened to her, you know, and this is the result of her being tortured and, and, and in prison and all that. And that, that, that could be, I'm not really sure, but, um, so, you know, I mean, it was a little, you know, it was a little whatever at first, but you I mean, you, you know, I don't own these characters. And so when you create them, they just kind of, they're going to do what they do. So, I mean, and so they do what they do. Yeah. Cause, um, I mean, I, I, I've talked to Lobdell a lot and, you know, he, He's contributed to our our site before, but I've made it clear just how much I love the original Teen Titans, like like going back to you know um, Marv Wolfman and George Perez, and 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 then with when you know Jeff Johns rebooted or whatever the, the series, you know, and then um, you got to how how's it feel that like you got to write the final issue of that series? That was really special. I mean, I and 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 I and and thanks to DC because the way the schedule was. Uh, it was supposed to, because of Flashpoint and everything, and they're changing over, and things were really uh, hectic and kind of chaotic. Not chaotic, but just really hectic and busy, and they were just trying to you know, get ready for this massive you know, changing of the guard, if you will, and going to the New 52. And you had Flashpoint going on, and you had all our books going on. And, and uh, they actually let me double ship um, 98 and 99 in July, so that in August I could get to issue 100. And so... Um, I had to truncate the Superboy Prime story a, a couple issues, which I think impacted the story a little bit in terms of the depth and some of the stuff I wanted to cover. I kind of had to go for broke and just kind of get to the you know rush to the finish line. But I was really happy to be able to have the hundred page, the hundred issue, the hundredth issue. Um, so that was pretty cool. I mean, look, I mean Jeff, I mean the Marvel. You're right, the, Mar- the Wolfman Press stuff is you know legendary, and, and Jeff's Jeff revitalizing that title um, with the launch of that volume. Uh, so being able to kind of cap that off, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty special. So I always, I always have, you know, I, you know, I always have a special place in my heart for that, you know, and the same, I was a special place in my heart for the, uh, for Captain Adam and also for, uh, like the Green Arrow Brightest Day stuff. Like, you know, it's just in, you know, kind of even seeing, even the rise of Arsenal stuff, seeing Roy through that hard time, like those are always, they're, they're just, they were, they were great stories to work on. So, yeah, I mean, Arsenal went through so much and, and I mean, I, I thought it was great because and like James you know, Robinson got a lot of flack over that, too. And but I and I, I thought that was just it was crazy. You know, he gets his arm ripped off and then, you know, Ollie dealing with all that. So um, and, and then you wrote The Rise of the Arsenal. And I just remember I just it, it was powerful stuff. Just, you know, yeah. He, then that's the th- you know, that's the thing is like and I get that it's not for everybody. I mean, that that. And everything's not supposed to be for everybody, you know, and that's that's why there's so much stuff out there. So you like, look, if you don't like your stuff this way, then there's that stuff to read, you know. And and you know, I've said it before, like you know, I'm sure when the Dark Knight Returns came out, people were just like, "This isn't my Batman. This is what are they doing? You know, what's he doing to him? He's this is dark and blah blah blah." And not that I'm qualifying, not that I'm trying to compare my work 
to the Dark Knight Returns, but just in the sense of like, it's not for everybody. And I get that. And so if it's not your cup of tea, it's not your cup of tea. But, you know, people get so invested in the characters that they just, they feel like they're, you know, they kind of have ownership of them and they, they don't, you know, in, in the same way that I don't have ownership over them. So, you know, and, and, and the honest truth is I can tell a story with Red Arrow and, and, and Roy that I can't tell with Green Arrow, you know, because it's kind of like when I worked on Teen Titans, like, you know, you you can't you you can tell certain stories with Superboy and Wonder Woman and 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 you know and Robin and and whatnot, but they're legacy characters. So they're very connected to the main the main characters and the main icons of the DC universe. So you can't you can't do certain things with them because that you might want to do to just explore different story things and, and, and different themes and different ideas. But if you get a cast of characters like the new Aqua Girl, and uh, I'm blanking on anybody else's name right now. Bombshell, and you know, uh, who is the Lizard Boy? Lagoon Boy. Oh, yeah. If you get a, if you get a cast of characters like that, you can, you should be able to, because that's what the point of those characters are: is to be able to do something different. Because if you're just telling, you know, if you're just telling the story about, you know. Lagoon Boy and Bombshell and that, and they're going up against, you know, Brother Blood, and it's just like, what, you know, unless you do something different, like, that's just, why wouldn't I want, why would I not want to see that story with the, the you know, what I call the A-listers of the Teen Titans? Mm-hmm. My yeah. daughter does not like Lagoon Boy, Lagan, <laughs> and that, that's because of the Young Justice show, yeah. and how, you know, he's with Miss Martian, so yeah. to her, you know, Miss Martian's supposed to be with Superboy. Right. So every time Lagan, she's like Lagan, and she's like rolling her eyes. <laughs> you know? That's the thing. That's you know, going back to the Roy thing. Like, see, she has like you know between the cartoons and Teen Titans. Teen Titans is a perfect example because with Teen, Teen Titans, Young Justice, Teen Titans Go, and all the other stuff. Like you've got you know different different books for different flavors and different you know for different you know for different readerships, and that's 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 cool. I mean, I guess that's the way it should be. But uh, you know, and that's one of the things when I did the new Teen, when I took over Teen Titans was. Uh, you know, I didn't go to the legacy villains because I thought that the legacy villains were going after the Teen Titans because they were Teen Titans, not because they had any, you know, beef with those particular characters. It was more like, oh, they're the Teen Titans in name, so I hate the Teen Titans, and these are the new Teen Titans, so I'm going to hate them. So what I was trying to do is bring new villains out of the scene that were... um, that that we could develop a more personal relationship, a more personal connection. Because, yeah, I mean, I'll admit when um, Roy Harper lost his, his arm, I was, you know, extremely skeptical about it. And uh, it, it just it seemed like here, let's do this big drastic thing, you know, pure shock value, you know, shake things up, do all this. But then it was um, James final issue of Cry for Justice, which, you know, he's he's gotten a lot of flack over that. You know, we, we've talked about that. And then um and it was also, the, um, I just remembered the first issue, Rise of Arsenal. I, I mean, it was just you, between that last issue, seeing what what Ali did, and then what you wrote. I mean, that just completely sold me on, on the idea of, you know, seeing Roy deal with all this. Yeah, and and, and you know, and the bottom line was that it, I wanted to write a story about a guy who lost his kid. I mean, the arm is secondary. I mean, he lost his child. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, losing your arm, don't get me wrong, is awful. And I'm not saying that it's no big deal if someone loses an arm, because it is. But if you compare losing an arm to losing a child, it's much worse. And to have the arm not be there is also a physical reminder that your child is no longer there as well. And so it's really just a grief-stricken story. And it wasn't meant to be a story of him, you know, facing his demons and coming out on the other side and being better than ever and, you know, being having all his team 
people around there. And it's funny because in a way, he's following the footsteps of what Ali would do. Because what does Ali do? Ali messes up all his relationships and he pushes people away and he thinks he doesn't deserve to be with anybody. And that's kind of what was going on with Roy. You know, I mean, he was, he hit rock bottom and just kept digging deeper because he just, he didn't want to feel anything and he didn't, you know, and yeah, I mean, yeah, there was, I mean, I mean, I didn't read all of it, but yeah, I mean, there was a ton of garbage on there, you know, not garbage in that, you know, people aren't entitled to their own opinion, but like just a bunch of, you know, complaining and, and criticism of the book. And that's fine. You know, I mean, it's, like I said, it's not meant for everybody. And, you know, I had people come up to me, I had people email me or, you know, and I, people forwarded me reviews that were not very flattering of, of, of what I was doing. But I also had a lot of dads come up to me at conventions saying that, wow, like this story really shook me to my core. Like I have kids and I just like, I was very hard for me to read that story. And I'm like, that's the point. The point is that it should be hard to read. There's nothing fun about watching somebody go through something like this. It's like watching Schindler's List. You don't like sit around with your guys, you know, your, your friends, like on a weekend Friday nights, going, "Hey, why don't we have some beers and watch Schindler's List?" Yeah, that'd be cool. You know, it's like no, it's like it's supposed to be an experience that you kind of watch in a certain environment and you experience, and it it, it affects you. You know, affects you in a very profound way. Again, I'm not trying to equate my Rise of Arsenal story with the quality of Schindler's List. I'm just using it as an example of you know, of what I was going for. And so there was no happy ending. There was never meant to be a happy ending for it. Had I been given the chance to, I would have loved to have continued writing him and, and, and write what the progression would be for him afterwards. But, you know, um, Eric Wallace went on and did the Titans book, which was great with the, 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 the Deathstroke team. And I was doing Green Arrow, so I was doing my thing. So I can only do so much. So it's, uh, you know, I just, I mean, I will defend that story till I die because it's just, you know, I believed in what I was trying to do and some of the things didn't, you know, come you know, it's not a perfect story by any stretch of the imagination, but I like what I was trying to do. Now, um, let's talk about Green Arrow. So with, with Brightest Day, you know, you, you really got into the character and, you know, this was after all, you know, all the events from Cry for Justice and, you know, I, I feel like, you know, you added a lot to the character and then we got the new 52 version which was slightly different. So basically, I mean, there was, there was some editorial, I mean, obviously editorials like across the board, you know, a lot of characters were de-aged mm-hmm. so that it's not like you went up to DC and say, Hey, let's make Ollie younger. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, what did it feel like you were like almost writing a, a, a new character at this point? Cause you know, a lot of characters were being uh, not, not revitalized, being re revamped or, I mean, what what was it like? Like, how did you approach writing the new Fifty Two? Because you know, it's it was a it was essentially in in a lot of ways, you know, a different character. Yeah, no, you're right. And and you know, when I when I came on to do the Fall of Green Arrow and, and go on to Brightest Day, whenever I take on any new character or any new title, like you know, you go and I try to read everything I can. You know, I, I scour my collection and find all the stuff I have, and then anything I don't have, I try to drum up and I try to read as much as I can. And I went back and read. Everything I had at Green Arrow, and I found stuff that I didn't have, you know, like little things here and there, you know. And I, you know, obviously, you know, the the brightest day stuff and the, the fall of Green Arrow, like it's in my mind, like I was always trying to infuse the kind of street level Grell uh, focus and and what Diggle um, Diggle did on uh, Green Arrow Year One, which I thought was fantastic, with and kind of infuse that with more of the. DC Universe Prime stuff that kind of like what, you know, what Meltzer did and what Winnick did and, and you know, and Kreisberg and, um, um, and I also like what, uh, uh, I liked how, I like how Jeff wrote him in Green, uh, Green Lantern Rebirth, you know, the, the role that kind of Ollie played in that. So I kind of just tried to pull from all these kind of avenues and, 
you know, you kind of come up with like what your vision of Green Arrow and who he is. And so, you know, that was, that's the process I went, went through to do the fall of Green Arrow and Brightest Day. And then when it came to the new 52, I kind of had to do that process all over again, but with some big caveats in the sense of like, we're going to approach him from a younger, at a younger standpoint, a younger point in his life. And then it was like, we want to be involved in his company. And, and, and so, you know, it became kind of this, you know, we want to beef up the technology aspect. And so I, I, I really just had to divorce. Once I knew to the extent of the changes they were looking for, I really just had to divorce myself for what I was doing with Brightest Day because everything I did in Brightest Day, we kind of went away from, you know, and I, and which was unfortunate because coming out of Brightest Day, the plan was the, the, I had stuff with the queen and, and there was a, you know, relationship, there was a past, you know, the past connection that I kind of alluded to with Holly and, and the queen in that book. And, um, there was a whole, we were still playing up the, the Robin Hood motif and there was going to be kind of a Sheriff of Nottingham character and kind of coming onto the scene, not called Sheriff of Nottingham, but kind of that role, uh, a champion in the city who was obsessed, who wasn't really a champion in the city and someone who was just obsessed with getting Green Arrow. Um, and then also had a, this, this, this idea for a Black Arrow character that was going to come on the scene, a, a main nemesis for Ollie that was going to become his true one great nemesis. Because the thing with Ollie is he doesn't really have a lot of, nem- he doesn't really have, a, his rogues gallery is pretty thin you know he didn't have a lot of really good villains that were really connected to who he was you know they were he had a lot of villains he fought but they weren't really tied into the great villains have a personal connection to the to the to the hero and some either relationship wise or just in a in a in a thematic sense um and we really just i mean when it came to the time for the new 52 i really just had to kind of divorce myself from all of that and and take the you know take the uh whatever you want to call it, the discussions and kind of go at it from a completely different standpoint. So it really was, you know, you know, if you look at the book uh, and I granted I only did three issues, but like it was kind of this hybrid between Iron Man and Batman, you know, I mean, it was, there's a little bit of Bruce Wayne in there, which Ollie had anyway, because of the, 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 the kind of the spoiled rich kid mentality, who's got a secret identity that he's trying to do good for the world. And, um, and then the gadgets and stuff, I, you know, there's kind of this, you know, cause making it kind of a techno, uh, a technology company, um, and kind of those, so, you know, you, you kind of have that, that little bit of Tony Stark in there. Um, so it was just a different book and it was a completely different flavor. And so, whereas, you know, I was writing, you know, Green Arrow is like, if you say it, if I was writing Green Arrow is sort of like a, the brightest day one is sort of like a Daniel Craig, James Bond kind of story, you know, kind of down and dirty. And then, uh, with the DC flair, I mean, then that got a little supernatural because of all the stuff with the forest and brightest day and the demon coming on board and, and, and whatnot. But, uh, to the new 52, which was a little, was lighter and a little more like uh, summer kind of popcorn kind of Iron Man kind of, I mean, really, I mean, if you think about tonality of what it was, you know, what the book became and which is fine. It's just, uh, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and it was a fine book to write and I love Oliver Queen, but it just. I didn't connect with it as much as I connected with the older version. And that was one of the, when, when I got the opportunity to do Superman beyond, um, my workload being what it was, I just, I, I didn't want to take on a third title. And so, um, and I'd been writing green arrow for a year or so. And I just started on captain Adam and I was very pumped and, and very passionate about what Freddie and I were doing in captain Adam. And so I decided to leave green arrow and, uh, uh, you know, and that was, that was it. So I did the three issues and then, and then, you know, um, then Dan stayed on for a while, you know, and then uh, 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 Keith Giffen came on board with him for a bit, and then Ann took it over. And, and Freddie, I t- talking about Freddie. I mean, his, his art just blows me away 
it's, it's like I, I, I love because he, he posts a lot of like sketches that he does, you know, like commissions and stuff for his like nieces and nephews. And it's just his art. Is, I just I love it. Well, the thing about Freddie is he puts way more effort into the art he does for his family members than he does for his children. <laughs> that's the thing about Freddie you have to understand. Now, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, in the New 52, working on the New 52 stuff, being able to work with Freddie and do Captain Adam with him was, was definitely a high point. Um, he's uh, just the nicest guy. He's super, super talented. He's got a great work ethic. Um, he's a great collaborator. Uh, the back and forth we had kind of building what Captain Adam was going to be was a lot of fun, just the conversations we had, just talking to him about story and about art and about, you know, themes and, and, and references and all that sort of stuff. Like it was just, it was fun kind of, and Captain Adam was such a open experience in the term of like, we could do anything really, you know, I mean, that's, that's funny with, with Green Arrow, like there was definitely things that they wanted, that DC wanted, but with, with, with Captain Adam, you know, they wanted like this notion of the little bit of the Dr. Manhattan flair, if you will, in terms of the power set. And that was it. Like, other than that, it was kind of like, well, let's, what do you guys want to do? And we just, you know, we came up with a bunch of stuff and we pitched it to them and they, they, they were on board. And, and, and I bummed that the book didn't sell as well as it did. But I mean, it's all basically on us because we, they, DC let us do what we want to do with it. You know, I mean, for the, for, you know, for 99, 99% of it, like it was all just stuff that, you know, Freddie and I had a marathon, couple of marathon phone conversations, uh, over the course of a week or two. And then, uh, and we laid out pretty much, you know, the first year solid and what you see in those first 12 issues, that's pretty much what we talked about. You know, it's pretty much what we came up with. Like we didn't, we didn't deviate from that plan because it was all one big story. You know, it was all one big, like the, everything tied together. And when he, when, once Captain Adam started going through time, all these seeds we planted with the time code and the volcano and the rat creature and, and rest and, 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 uh, curing Mikey's cancer, like all those stuff, all that stuff all comes back and plays a role in the second part of the story. Now another bummer is it. It seems people don't like war comics. No, no, it seems like they don't. Because uh, so I mean, because you worked on Men of War and then GI Combat. Because um, on Comic Vine, those were all highly rated, you know, issues. Um, but it it just it, it I guess it it seems that the people just aren't into war, war comics like they they used to be. Well, I mean, it, look, I mean, to be frank, I mean, it's pretty tough to it's pretty tough to wedge yourself into the comic book marketplace in terms of, in terms of sales. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at, I mean, there's a reason why they did the new 52. There's a reason why Marvel does Marvel now. There's a reason why they relaunch books. There's a reason why there's five Spider-Man titles and five Batman titles and five Green Lantern titles, you know, and three Superman, like the, and, and four or five X-Men books. You know I mean? If you look at the sales, I mean, that's what dominates the chart. So even to crack in there, you know, it's tough. It's an uphill battle anyway. If you're not one of those like marquee, uh, properties, you know, so it's it's uh, it's great when you can see a new book kind of like break out of that and, and kind of you know something like Saga that just kind of hits while the iron's hot and just you know really makes a, a name for itself and almost carves out a little space for itself in the comic book industry. It's great when you see stuff like that. Or The Walking Dead, obviously, is a you know monster success, but you know that was a slow burn too. You know, building, building, and building, and building. Um, but you know, so when it comes to a war comic, I think you're right. I, I think that part of it is that, or part of it could be that what people go for with comic books sometimes is like a little bit of that escapist flair. So when you have something that's so grounded in reality, I mean, granted, the story I wrote for Men of War, I only wrote one story for Men of War, but it was a very, you know, real story. It was about a soldier coming home and not really having a place for himself and feeling kind of alone and isolated. So, you know, that doesn't scream splash page, 
that doesn't scream, oh, look at that cover jumping out at, you know what I mean? So it's like, in terms of what it is, like it's, you know, they're kind of like indie books, you know, they're, you know, they're, they really are, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of, they're going against the grain, you know, and hats off to stuff like, like, you know, Jimmy and Justin on, on all-star Western. I mean, cause Westerns aren't really like, you know, top of the food chain in terms of what that, you know, what that has, but, uh, they really, uh, you know, they really, um, you know, have done a really great job, like making that book great and just writing a real solid book and, you know, and it, 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 it you know, it's, it's paying off, which is great. Now, um, let's, let's shift gears for a little bit and talk about your book that is now available for pre-order on, on Amazon and I'm sure other places. So the lost spark spark. Yeah. You can get it on Amazon. Now you can order it through your local comic book shop. We're, 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 we're submitting it through a diamond previews cause I really wanted to make sure that comic shops are able to get it and people that are fans of my comic stuff are able to, you know, support their comic book store and get it through there if you want. But, um, we're also having it through Amazon, uh, you can, like I said, you can pre-order through Amazon and I believe like Barnes and Noble and whatnot. So it's, it's out there and the, it's out there, uh, pre-orders. Yeah. It's coming out in the spring. May 7th. Uh, yep. Yep. Actually, I think the release, uh, the release in comic shop is going to be a little earlier, but yeah, but May 7th, uh, for the Amazon and whatnot. Oh, that's where I pre-ordered it. There you go. So tell us about it. Uh, Lost Spark is, uh, kind of a young, a young adult fantasy novel in the vein of like a Harry Potter or the Philip Pullman's like the golden compass, uh, the dark, tri- the dark materials trilogy. Um, essentially the, the, the story is about, uh, a teenage girl named Angie who has to kind of rediscover a world of magic that she forgot about in order to save her grandfather because he's losing his mind. Uh, the whole premise of the story is that when we're children, uh, we all have one item artifact or toy or whatnot that, that we kind of, make a special bond with, you know, in the, in the sense of like how you have your security blanket for some people, but it could be a toy, it could be a piece of clothing, it could be a, you know, a, a Halloween costume, it could be a piece of sporting equipment, an action figure. Um, that one thing that we just, you know, that becomes our best friend and our, our just, you know, our, our close, our, 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 you know, our, our, our security blanket in the metaphorical sense. Um, and with it, when we're ch- kids, we kind of imagine ourselves doing things with it and playing with it in different ways and, you know, like you, you know, you put on your pillowcase and you put it around your neck and you can fly like a cape, you know, it becomes a cape and you can fly. Um, and the whole premise of the story is that all, that's all true. And it's also, it's, it's like a special magic that we're actually able to create. But what happens is, is as we get older, we kind of lose our connection to our childhood. We kind of lose our connection to that imagination. We get distracted by, you know, the reality around us in school and friends and playing, you know, that way and stresses of life and then growing up and homework and, you know, social media and, you know, movies and TV and, 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 you know, paying bills and going to school and relationships and all that sort of stuff. So you kind of lose your childhood as, as you get older and we lose those items physically. Like, you know, they get broken or thrown away or they're given away or you move and you, you leave it behind accidentally or your mom throws it out. Um, and, but for the people that can maintain their connection with it, they can actually still do the magic with it. So that's kind of the premise of the whole story. And her grandfather, uh, his, with the, the, the reason the book's called The Lost Spark is because that's the term I use for these, uh, 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 uh that's the term I use for these, uh, for these items. They're called sparks. Um, and, uh, so when you can refine that, when you, if you can keep it or, or find it again, uh, and you can tap into it, you can do the magic you're able to do then. So, uh, for example, um, the grandfather's, uh, sparks are his marbles, a marble collection he had. And, when he loses them, he actually starts to lose his mind. And so, uh, in order for him to kind of to save his mind, Angie's got to 
refine, re- rediscover her lost spark that she's kind of forgotten about, track that down, and then embark on this journey into kind of this hidden world underneath the world we all live in to uh, to find out what happened to his his marbles because they weren't they weren't lost um, they were stolen from him and so she's got to try to find out what happened to him. Oh, so I I know my my daughter's gonna love this this book. I, I can't wait for her to to read it. Um, yeah, it's uh, I really I really try to design it like when I and when I when I compare it to Harry Potter, I always try to liken it to like book three because it's a little darker in tone than the first couple I think. Um, but it's not. But it's definitely kid appropriate. I've had um, you know I've had kids read it you know in like uh, friends at my girls' school and whatnot. Like I've had some other kids read it and whatnot that are that are big readers and and uh, to make sure that like there's nothing you know and and a lot of other people read it too. Just to make sure there's nothing you know that it's kind of age appropriate. So, but I really hope and I feel that it it, it speaks to everybody because it's kind of also that nostal- it's about nostalgia. And it's about us reconnecting with our childhood and, and you know how we have all these people you know who go on eBay and try to track down their you know the games that they had or the action figures that they had when they were a kid and try to regather those things that you know made up their childhood for those people who lost it you know the 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 the, the nostalgia of it and there's there's a wide array of characters and there's there's teenagers there's uh uh you know adults in their 20s and 30s there's there's a retired baseball player in his 70s you know there's a grandfather he's in, in his 70s as well and so there's kind of a, a wide array of people at different parts in their lives and so it's a uh, it's something I've been working on a long time. I came up with the idea. I actually came up with the original idea, believe it or not, when I was in high school. Um, and I didn't start seriously writing it until about 10 years ago. But uh, with all the comic book work, it's, books are really hard to, for me anyway, you know, it's, I, I kind of liken it to uh, like playing one of those like intense, like really immersive video games where, you know, uh, you can't just go play it for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, like you've got to, you know, it takes you a half an hour just to get back into the world and figure out where you're going and what you're doing and kind of march around and, and kind of figure out what the next plan of your, your grand, you know, journey is going to be. And for me, that's what it's like with books. Like I needed to make sure I had chunks of time. And so once the comic work got great, um, uh, uh, and I was doing a bunch of stuff like it was awesome and that's that's great and but at the same time like trying to find that time to carve out to play uh, to, to to put into the book was uh, was harder so I had to really kind of work to kind of structure my schedule around so that's why I would have to like tinker with it in like week increments like a month here and a month there and uh, and finally I was just like you know I I just I, I took some time and I I kind of I, I worked ahead on everything else and kind of pushed everything else out of the way and just focused on it for like about a month and a half or two months to finish up the draft and get it revised. And, um, I've been working with an editor and whatnot and just get it all polished up. And so, um, I'm over the moon excited about it. Like it's my first novel and I'm actually working on another one right now, uh, a whole new, a whole new story. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's a fun, different kind of writing. It's very labor intensive, obviously, because it's only the words on the page and it's scary because you're, it's like for the first time, my final words, are what everybody reads. Because with a comic book script, it's really a letter to your artist. And a lot of what I, most of what I write in a script, no one ever sees except for the artists and the editors and the colorists, you know, the people working on the book. Because other than the dialogue, you don't see anything that I put into it. You know, it's all just, you know, because the artist kind of takes it and translates it to the, to, you know, translates it, translate it, translates it onto the page. But now it's like, it's all just the words on the page. That's all there is. So. I mean, I, I think comics, I mean, it's always interesting when, when you, do get to see the scripts, you know, sometimes they're released because, you know, I, I know different writers have different, 
you know, they, they work in different ways where some may have detailed like, okay, page two, panel one, do this page, you know, panel two, do this. And, and where others might just say, this is what's going to happen on this page. And then they let the artist go to it and then they, you know, work around that. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. The plot style versus the plot or Marvel style versus a full script style. And I've worked in, I've worked in both. Um, Captain Adam, I did, uh, I liked full script because it actually helps me pace my story out better. Um, it helps me figure things out a little more and I feel like I'm a stronger writer when I'm writing full script. But having said that, I did plot style with Captain Adam and Freddie and it worked out amazingly. Part of the reason is because we had such a good working relationship and the back and forth was so strong. Um, and we would essentially talk about every issue verbally pretty much before I would even write it. So like for instance, the first issue of Captain Adam we talked about the whole issue. We basically broke it down on the phone page by page. Well, this page will be this and then this and this and this. And we had it all broken down. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to go write down what we just said and then I'll send it to you and go from there. Uh, so that worked. But, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I like to do full script. Yeah, because there, there's, there's been some times, and you know, I won't mention any names, but where I, I've seen, you know, you, you get a lot. So like sometimes there's, there's empty spaces on the page and you can see because, you know, the, the artist has to leave the room for the dialogue and, you know, maybe they're just if, if the, the communication's not there, you know, that that could could be noticeable if, you know, if you're looking for that. So I, yeah. I, I like you said, so you, you got to have that that communication, that relationship. And I also know some artists who told me that they've had worked with writers on occasion where it's like if it's an action thing, like they'll like the writer will just say, like, pages 12 through 15, they fight. <laughs> <laughs> Some artists like that, and some artists really don't. Uh, I think it's a great way to great, great way to make more money because you just write those three words, and then that's it. That's you get paid for three pages. But um, uh, yeah, I always would joke with the artists when like I would write like you know Micah Ganell when we were doing Dying of the So Far Dying of the Light. Like I wrote it was like a double splash. Like you know the battle begins, the two forces coming together, and that's kind of all I wrote because I try to describe it a little bit. But you know that's I mean it's basically the big battle page scene, and. Uh, Took them, you know, four days to draw, but it took me, you know, ten seconds to write. You know, so it's just like yeah, there. There's another artist on a previous podcast, which I, I won't draw attention to it, but uh, he mentioned where you know he wasn't getting everything all at once. So here's a new character, and you know he's he's putting all his time into making this, you know, designing the character and all that, and then he finds out the character dies on the next page or something like that. So it's just like, hmm. So there's a little frustration there. Hate, I, I I had to do it at certain points. I, I hate I hated I always hate it when I have to just piecemeal a script to somebody. And whenever I do, I try to at least give them a breakdown in advance so they might not have the script pages, but they know what's coming up in the story. They know what's going to happen on the following pages, so they're not just like getting pages one and two without an idea of what's going on for the rest of the story. Like I always try to make sure that because you want the artist to have because I would hate to have an artist do that to, to go to all that trouble to design a character thinking it's going to be somebody and then they just get killed. It's like great i'm really glad i you know went went to the nines on that design that i wait in a sense wasted this great design of this character why not save it for somebody that's going to be around for a little longer so i mean it happens i mean it's you know i mean it's a fast business i mean that's that's the one thing is it's a fast business a fast moving and you try to work ahead but you can't work that far ahead especially if you're an independent company it's not like you know you can bank you know seven eight nine issues of a story and just kind of wait to bring it out when you want to bring it out it's like you need to bring it out to pay for the stuff that you're putting out. You know, it's just a, it's a constantly flowing assembly line. So now um, going back to the, the lost spark on the Amazon page, it says that Aspen is the publisser. Yep. So yep. we, um, 
yeah, when I uh, when I was finishing up and trying to figure out how I want to go forward with it, um, I kind of reached out to them to see if it would be something they were interested in because they're you know they they they've always been great to work with and uh, and I thought it'd be a really cool like kind of way for them to kind of expand some of the stuff that they were doing and, and get into other markets and uh, uh, it just really worked out you know I mean it, you know I mean there were other a couple you know there were a couple of avenues I could have pursued but especially in this day and age with quite honestly you know, distribution being what it is and the, the, the drop in the physical spaces. Like there've been two Barnes and Nobles by me in the last, and I'm talking, it's funny that now we're now it's crazy that in this day and age, like we're getting nostalgic for when we used to have Barnes and Nobles around us. You know I mean? That's, that's how the market's going though. I think I just read the other day that Barnes and Nobles is closing like 30% of their stores or whatever, or 30 stores or something. And someone was telling me like, but like there were, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. So granted there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of there's still Barnes and Nobles around, but like, but, but two, the two closest ones to me in the last two years, three years have shut down. And, uh, so, and when you go into those stores, you see that there's less room for new books, you know, because they're trying to compete and they're getting more and like the, like the kids section is expanding, but it's not expanding with more books. It's expanding with toys and stuffed animals and stuff and, in in like puzzles and games and whatnot, which is, you know, look, which is fine. So, I mean, you really have your, you know, you, so we have like in terms of like the marketplaces and where you're trying to reach. I've just felt I could do that through Aspen, and also with the digital books because it'll all be avail- it also be avail- avail- available digitally. I'm hoping that'll be available the same at the same time. But if not, it'll be shortly after the print version comes out. It'll be available like for the Kindle and the iBook and whatnot um, for the digital readers. But uh, but yeah, so it's you know it's something we're trying and 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 I'm, I'm hoping it goes well. And and I know that. Uh, I know that Vince has a book that he's working on that he wants to that he wants to publish through it, and the goal is that we'll try to probably put out um, hopefully up to four books a year, and so this will be like a quarterly thing that we'll do. And if so, if The Lost Spark does well, and then Vince does his book, and then maybe my my other book will be the next book on the on the Pike or whatever. Or um, it's uh, but it's just kind of it's exciting, you know. It's it's like I said, it's just it's just for me, it's just about getting it out there, you know. And that's you know now I'm trying to just get it out and and get, let as many people know about it as possible so they can find it. So with um, Aspen handling that, what are the chances of possibility, like a, a comic adaption of it? Um, I don't think we do a comic adaption right now. I mean, um, I, depending on how it does. I mean, if it does, if look, if it, it's, if it does gangbusters, which I hope it does, then absolutely it's something we would, we would definitely look into doing. But I kind of, I kind of want this book to be a book, and and and. Part of the reason that I want to keep it that way, because I had thought about, as I was working, I thought about when I was still, you know, when I was struggling through my first draft, I was like, oh, maybe I should just use this as a comic book. I could be, you know, I'd be done. <laughs> I'd, be done. <laughs> I'd be done in six months. I could be done with it. Um, but part of the reason I like it as a book and part of the reason I want to keep it that way is because, because it deals with childhood imagination and because it's all about, uh, you know, kind of tapping into that. And, and, and I think that I love comic books, but reading a comic book and reading a book, it's such a different experience. In the same way that reading a book and watching a television show are completely different experiences. There's something about building that world in your mind and, and, uh, and, and, and kind of letting it live in your head and be what you want it to be and have the characters be what you want them to be and look how you want them to look. Like there's something very just awesome about that, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and I, as much as I love like adaptations when books are adapted into movies and television shows, like they almost always pay, not pale in comparison, but I almost always prefer the book version just because when you discover it that way, like right now I'm watching Game of Thrones because I'm terribly behind on watching television. So which I guess that's a good thing to be behind in television watching. But, um, you know, and I'm enjoying the show, 
but I really enjoyed the books a lot more, you know, just because they go that like there's elements I see in the in the show that they touch upon, and it just reminds me of when I was reading them, and the, uh, the, the, the you get so much greater detail with them. Hmm. That being said, watching you know uh, what's his name getting a, a golden crown poured on him was pretty awesome. So, <laughs> uh, speaking of television, I, I meant to ask you: uh, are, are you have you checked out Arrow at all? Yeah, I haven't seen all of them. I've seen a few of them. Um, again, behind in my television watching. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's, you know, they got a lot, they got a lot of cool stuff in it. I'll, I'll say that, you know, it's, it's, it look, it's, it's a fun show, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just cool to see a show like that, not only be on the air, but also do well and be received well, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's always good because it's good for comic books, you know, I mean, it's in the same way that Walking Dead's, you know, a great story for, Robert and, and, and everybody over in, in, in Image and all that. That's a great story for them. And that just does nothing but help the comic book industry. You know, it helps, it helps show that this is a great place to find cool new stories. I just hope that um, it, I hope that stuff like that leads people to find the book sources and not just, and, and, and in addition to Hollywood or whatnot, finding more great ideas to, you know, to explore from comic books, which is great. But I also hope it works the other way, is that instead of just only taking ideas from comic books and translating them and having those be the big beasts, I hope it can help kind of funnel viewership and readership over to the comic books into the books because that's, you know, that's how we're going to keep this market going. You know, that's how we're going to keep this whole, that's how we're going to keep all the plates spinning, Tony, is if we, uh, we, uh, I mean, we kind of keep that, we make it a, we make it a revolving door and not just a one-way street. Yeah, and I mean, that's something I never understood and, you know, this isn't, directed at you but it's the, the both all the publishers it's like you have a, a a big comic book movie or a tv show there should be more mention that this is an actual comic and i think the only time i saw anything was um at the very end of green lantern because you know i stayed for the credits hoping there was something beyond the you know the, the the midway scene with with sinestro and all there was was um there was like like an ad that says you know, Green Lantern trades, you know, buy them at your local store or whatever. So it's like, I don't understand why there's it. There aren't more like commercials or, or something. Cause you know, DC has done, you know, commercials for the new 52 and for before Watchmen, but it's like you have arrow, you know, you have this TV show that, you know, millions of people are watching and the only real connection is you see the DC logo at the end. Right. Right. So I don't, it's, it's- it, for the general view, they might not even know what that means. Luckily, it's got the word comics in it, you know, so they go, oh, comics, you know. But, um, you know, so many people, when you say comics, they think Sunday morning. You know, they think, like, with a comic strip, you know, and you're like, no, actually, not, not that. Um, you know, I, I think that, I think they're doing what they can. I, I don't know if you'd see a commercial. I mean, what, what they could do is, you know, you have all those, at a lot of the theaters, you have the advertisement before the movie, is put an ad there. You know, put an ad there where you're promoting, like, like when the Man of Steel book's coming out, you know, or when the Man of Steel's coming out, like, have, or when Dark Knight, or any of these movies, you know, when they're coming out, have a commercial where it's a 30-second spot where it, you know, it, it's talking about the comic books that are in there. It's like, oh, after you see the movie, you know, continue the adventures of Superman in the pages of blah, 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 blah. And then you can key it in with a local retailer or whatever. Like, I have noticed in Los Angeles that at a lot of the theaters, look, the comic books near the theaters are starting to put kiosks and displays at the lobbies of the, of the theaters. Um, 
with featuring some of the comic books and also kind of lead to hopefully then lead them to the stores. Yeah. Cause I, I tried doing that. Cause when, when I was in high school, I, I was working at a movie theater and I think it was like an aliens movie or something like that. And so I tried doing like this cross promotion with, with the local comic store. And I was like, you know, let, let's do something so that, you know, the comic store put up a, a poster of the movie and, you know, said, go see it here. And, and, you know, we did the, the same thing at, at the theater, but it's like, there should be more of that. And, because, you know, like the Avengers movie comes out, everyone goes sees it, you know, mm-hmm. but how many of those people may find, you know, if they're even aware that there's a comic store? Right. Because like, it's like. Also, it's also tricky, though, because once, like, say you're a dad and you're not a comic book reader and you have a 10 year old boy and he went and saw the Avengers and he loved it and you walk into a comic book store, what's he going to get? Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is a lot of the kids stuff doesn't really doesn't really sell enough for them to keep doing it. And so there's not as much out there of it. And so he goes and grabs, you know, Grant Morrison stuff. It's great, but like not really geared towards him. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's trick, it's tricky, and it's also tricky because of the price point. Now, that's why I think, honestly, that's why I think digital comics are going to help in the long run because you still have the physical copies for the people who want them for the collectibles, and also people who like to have the physical comic, and also for the comic book shops and the the, the, the hardcore collectors. But I mean, digital comics are a way for a cheap way for, you know, a kid who goes and sees the Avenger movie to then, you know, just go on to the iTunes or Comixology and his dad or whatever, he can go and he can find like for 99 cents or $1.99, hopefully, you know, it's like he can get, you know, can get some comics for him and he can kind of explore it. I mean, it's all about, it's, I kind of look at, I like to look at the digital rack, the digital, I like to look at the digital store as kind of being partially of like the spindle rack was for me when I grew up because the comics I got from the spindle rack they weren't in good shape because some guy who didn't even care about comics was more interested in selling groceries and you know mine was my spindle was actually like a party store so there he was more interested in selling cigarettes and alcohol than he was selling comic books the comic books were just there and so when you got him you know they were kind of frayed on the edges and they were just kind of jammed in there they're all messed up and I bought comics like that for years until I was able to find my way to an actual comic book store. And then it was like, wow. And then it was all about, you know, taking care of them. And uh, granted, I took care of mine when I got them. But you know what I mean? It's like, but that was my gateway, was the spindle rack, was my gateway into a, a comic book shop where your selection is great, the quality is great, and just, you know, all of that, where it's just a whole, a much, you opens yourself up to the much bigger world. Yeah. Cause like uh, every Wednesday, you know, I, I take a cab to the comic store and, you know, I, I, get the the driver to wait outside as I run in and you know get my stack and then when I come in there a lot a lot of them are like like what is that place and I I tell them it's a comic store and they're like really it's it's, it's like they're they're surprised that comics are still being put out mm-hmm. you know they may know the characters from you know movies or TV or whatever but it's like there's so many people that that aren't aware that there's there's still comics yeah and yeah. And and you you bring up a great point about you know comics for kids because like you know my my daughter she's nine and she is so ticked off that like um like there's not going to be any more Superman family adventures I mean I I think that's official I don't know if it's official official that it's it's canceled or not but you know I, and then like Young Justice is is not going to be on the air anymore and that the comics because you know she she loves that but I I, I get it from a a, a regular parent because I, I maybe i don't qualify as that that i, I can see spending 2.99 on a, a a single issue they might not you know see the value in that but where like archie does it right you know they, they put out those little digests mm-hmm. and you know they, they have like like 150 pages or something like that and it's you know it's, it's like almost the same price yeah so. well that, 
that's the thing. I mean, like when I collected, my, I'm like, when I, geez, I'm going to date myself. When I started collecting comics, we're just getting to the 65 and 75 cent point. You know, they, they raised a lot of them. But even at that price point, at 65 and 75 cents, my, my mom was still like, what do you need money for? Why Don't you have enough of those? Like, she didn't get it. She didn't get that it was about the continuing story. She didn't get that there was, it was like, watch, it was like, they were like my soap operas. It was like, I got to get reading because, you know, it's like, they thought that James Hudson was back in the Alpha Flight and it turns out it's the robot. Like, <laughs> Like, this is crazy. It's Omega Flight. It's coming to kill them all. I mean, how can I not find out what's going on, going to happen next? You know, or the Marvel Marine Massacre. It's like, I got to get the next one. Wolverine's going to fight Sabretooth in the, in, the, in the sewers. Come on. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, and also, like, if you think about it, like, the stuff that we had, the stuff that we had kind of to compete with, like, it wasn't as much as it is now. Because, and that's the trick is, if you think about it, and, and this is a cost standpoint, comic would cost four bucks. Right, uh, even if you say three dollars, so you say you get ten comics for thirty bucks. How long does it take you to read ten comics? Mm, a couple hours, maybe three, four hours, maybe five. If you take your time, depends. Um, for the same thirty bucks, you could buy a video game and you could be Superman or be Batman, and that game will take you, you know, forty hours, you know, hundred hours. You know, it could be limitless depending on what kind of game it is. You know, it could be a, a story driven game or it could be like a you know, a, a battle game where you're just running around and beating people up for a lot of things. So, you know, it's, it's tough. And so I think, and, and, and don't get me wrong, as much as I love the action in comic books, the thing I, re- like, I don't remember fights in comic books that I read when I was younger as much as I remember moments that are just great moments in the comic books I read growing up. Like the reveal of, of, of what was her name? Um, what was the robot in Alpha Flight? Delphi? Delphi? Do you uh, remember? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so... And that was like I like I will always remember that moment of like when I when that that cliffhanger came about because it blew me away. Like I was sitting on the bed at my grandma's house because that's where I got my comics was in the town that she lived in, and I would go get my comic books and I would run into the bedroom and shut the door and I would I didn't want to wreck comic books with my hands so I would lay it on the bed and just kind of sit on my elbows and just kind of turn it over and absorb it page by page and like. But that's the stuff I remember, you know. I remember the, you know, you remember all those character moments because that's it's the characters that bring you back. The action's great, and the action's, you know, you want the action there because it's fun. But I mean, it's the character stuff that really that I think really brings people back. I don't know for me anyway. No, no, yeah, totally. Because I mean, I it 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 seems like you know you and I started around the same time, and and you know I I love comics today, but you know there definitely was a different atmosphere back then, and you know maybe part of it was because. Even though not everyone is aware that there's comics today, it, it was a, a different time, and and you know we we didn't have all these crazy you know crossovers and deaths all the time. So it's like you know if someone died in the comics back then, it it was a big deal. Yeah, you know you didn't know like like a big thing for me was um, the Hobgoblin story in, in Spider Man. It's like you know who who is this character and and that that went on for years. Like we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Or even like like Wolverine's past. It's like you know what, what's what's going on. Yep. So I yep. mean, Craven's last hunt. You know that so was, definitely. Yeah, I mean that was that 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 was like a crossover that totally worked because it got me to buy all the Spider Man titles, which I weren't wasn't buying at the time. You know, I was only buying Amazing at the time, but I went over. I was like, I'm like this book's unbelievable. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, and it's constantly evolving. And you know, you could you know, there's arguments for both. You know, you need that. You need you want good starting points for people to come on in, but also people will figure it out. I mean, when I picked up my first issues, like I just, you know, I didn't know what was going on. My first, when I read my first X-Men comic, I was too young. I thought that Sebastian Shaw was the X-Man because the cover showed him standing over the fallen X-Men. You know, <laughs> that's the hero in the story. And I remember, I remember 
at the second time, I'm like, oh no, actually, I got this all wrong. <laughs> all right, let's um, let's talk about Aspen. Um, so recently, you, you you had some excitement and then a little um, frustration about uh, the the character, the, the project that you're working on, Journey. Is that how you say it? Journey, yeah. So, um, what's what's the status with that? Oh no the the project I'm working on had nothing to do the the, the thing that I found like the my frustration with my creative thing where uh, you're referring to the blog where I found a project that's very similar to mine and I yeah uh, that's not the journey book no it's a completely different project ah the novel I was working on that that got derailed which 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 really hurts to this day because I was a long way in developing it um and and writing it like, I think I had like I had more than half of it written already the first draft so um. And that just that that really hurt. No, no, no Journey's fine. Um, Journey's great. Uh, Aspen, you know, for their tenth anniversary, they're doing uh, ten for ten. So starting in February, actually starting this month, now that we're in February, uh, with Legends of the Shadow Clan by David Wool. Um, they're doing uh, ten new number ones, five returning properties, and five new properties. Um, and mine is the third, uh, the third one for April. Uh, it's Journey. It's a new book. Um, and for the first issues, for all the number ones, they're doing a, it's a dollar an issue for the first issue. So it's a great opportunity for fans to check it out at very 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 low cost point um and they're doing a ton of incentives like for covers and 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 also like there's a way that i think it's limited to 10 but if you're a retailer and you and you order i think it's 1500 copies of journey um you actually i'll come and do a store signing uh so um they're just we're just trying to really it's Aspen's 10th anniversary we're just we're doing an we're doing an, an, an expanded uh convention schedule we're hitting a lot of shows that we haven't hit before. I'm going up to Vancouver, going to Calgary. Um, there's, there's, we're doing shows and we're doing Heroes Con, which we haven't been to in a while. Um, not all of us are going to be there, but like Aspen will be at all these shows. We're going to do the Montreal Con, um, and so there's just you know there's a, bu- a bunch of other cons that we, we, we normally weren't able to hit in our schedules that we're going to try to fit that we're going to fit in. Um, and then the Ten for Ten Initiative, and so it's uh, you know uh, it's uh, it's really exciting. Journey for me is. Uh, I kind of said this before. Um, it's uh, it's just my love of fantasy stuff. Like it's a, lo- it's like it's my love letter to Frank Frazetta, you know, and 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 watching Conan the Barbarian when I was a kid, and Flash Gordon, and you know, uh, you know, uh, just all that sort of stuff. Clash of the Titans, you know. I mean, it's just it's it's just a, it's an epic fantasy adventure, uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, all that all that good stuff. And it's about a it's about a, a, a warrior princess named Ara who is wandering her world. Uh, looking for her mother who was kidnapped from her by a, a sorcerer who has a, a jinn, a genie, if you will, um, as his kind of like main right hand dude. Um, and there's a just it's just it's a big, epic kind of story of of self discovery for her. And I'm, I'm kind of liking it very much to like Conan and the Conan comic books in the sense that it's it's a lot it's a lot about it's, she's got like this long mission and goal, if you will, a quest, but it's also about her discovering herself and, and, and learning about herself because there's a mystery kind of about her and who she is. And she's trying to kind of solve that at the same time she's trying to find her mom. So, um, uh, and we got, uh, uh, Paulo Pantelena is doing the art for it and he is just turning in some really sick, 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 awesome stuff. So, um, it's, uh, it's just, you know, if, if you, if you like, if you like Lord of the Rings, if you like, you know Conan. If you like battle chasers, you know that kind of stuff. Like it's just it's 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 going to be a lot of fun. And is that still set for April? Yep, yep, yep. Seventeenth, so, uh, I think the first issue comes out. So it's probably in in the, it should be in the previews already. So people need to 
previews now. So if people should check it out and definitely tell their comic book store uh, to get it. Hopefully, the comic shop will be getting a lot of them because, like I said, it's only a dollar for the first issue to try out. Um, and uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, they announced that um, J. Scott Campbell is doing sketch variants for issue how the issue it's either issue one or issue two i think it's issue two um is doing like a sketch variant for it which looks i saw the pencils for it looks amazing um so it's uh yeah so yeah uh, anybody interested should definitely reach out to their comic book shop and make sure they're gonna make sure they're gonna order a bunch yeah because that, that's something i don't know if everyone you know realizes that they need to do that you know especially with with new titles where you know they just i i, I see people are like like oh you know this this book was sold out i wasn't able to get it but it's like you got to let them know that you're interested and, you know, so they'll, they'll order them. Yeah, absolutely. You're and you're absolutely right. Especially with independent books, you really need to, you really need to reach out to your retailers and, and let them know what you want them to get because that's how they gauge it. I mean, they don't, you know, they gauge it, they gauge a book based on sales is how much they're going to order of the next issue. But when it comes to a new project, that's an unknown quantity or an unknown, you know, an unknown project. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they just kind of make a gut check on it and it's not really, you know, it's not really, it's geared. It's not really geared in anything because it's like if you don't tell your comic shop you want them, they may not get it. So you may go in and they might not have it, you know. And then and then some comic shops will react and then order more accordingly, and some will just be like, no, I don't get that, you know. And it's just, and they just leave it at that. So it's like you, you know, you definitely have to let your comic book shop know if, if it's something you're interested in. Now, what about um, Fathom and Soulfire? You still working on on those? Fathom is actually Dave Wolf's doing Fathom right now. Um, there's a, a Fathom event coming up. Uh, which we haven't really announced anything about yet, but it's a big anniversary. Um, this year is the 10th anniversary for, for Aspen, but it's also the 15th anniversary for Fathom. So there's a lot of stuff planned for it, and uh, I might be doing something in the Fathom universe uh, that they'll probably be talking about soon. Um, Soulfire, we're currently on volume number four, um, and uh, I think issue three is the last one that came out. Issue four is coming out shortly. Uh, Mike the Balfo's on on art for it. Um, it's a crazy big uh, kind of heavy mythology issue. Or, I'm sorry, volume of the book as Grace, who's always been Malachi's greatest protector, has become uh, basically taken over and possessed by uh, a force of chaos, a demon of chaos, and she's now become the harbinger of doom. And so now Malachi is forced to face the person who's always been his protector has now become his greatest enemy, and so he's kind of forced to to grapple with that and uh it's gonna have some pretty interesting repercussions coming out of it and uh just it's got some just crazy awesome like we're you know the the issue issue just came out the last day just came out like there's this huge this huge building on fire this huge temple building on fire is grace is kind of terrorizing a city and and the whole flames of the building kind of morph and become this giant fire dragon and she's kind of unleashed hellfire onto the city so it's um because it's all about her she's just just the chaos in her is just it's the focus is about destroying everything on the planet because she wants to wipe the slate clean because and 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 chaos wants to take the world back over so it's 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 about eradicating all life on the planet so it's a very big epic kind of you know harsh 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 and fun and exciting story okay here here's a question um from twitter from wadley hobbins he wants to know um who would win in a fight batman versus green arrow's abs <laughs> um, I mean, you kind of have to say Batman wins almost any fight because Batman's like the quintessential hero in all of us that we hope to strive to be. That The reason I think people connect with Batman so much is people can relate to him because he's a normal person. Uh, uh, other than the fact that hopefully not everybody's parents got murdered right in front of them. But uh, 
Um, so I think that we like to think that Batman can beat anybody. He's so smart and he's always one step ahead of everybody. So I think even, even though, you know, Oliver Queen's abs are remarkable, um, <laughs> I, I think it would be close, but I think I, I think uh, I think he might use somehow Batman would use a thigh master and be able to beat him with a thigh master. I don't know how a thigh master beats an ab machine, but I think it would it would somehow he would use a thigh master to defeat Green Arrow's abs. <laughs> another, another question um, from Jeffrey Edge: Does Batman ever get stuck in traffic? And if so, how does he get out of it? I don't think he he would get stuck in traffic. No, I don't. I don't think. I mean, because he's got the GPS thing, and he can always get the right, you know, way. And and if worst case scenario, we're talking the movie version. Of worst case scenario, he could just detonate the mobile and just take the bike and just go up on the sidewalk. And he can, you know, I don't really think he doesn't really show up. He doesn't really show up late anytime. He always shows up right when he's supposed to. Kind of like Gandalf, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think there is um, when one of the earlier movies came out, they they actually had like a, a OnStar ad campaign. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, uh, I want to say that was the Clooney one. Yeah, so you know, it's probably he just uses that, and, he's, and or you know, he's got something like just traffic on I eighty eight. Don't go that way. Wait a minute, we're all Batman now. We all have that on our phones. We have our GPSs and our map quests. We can figure it out. Yeah, but nothing else. Alfred can help him out. You know. Yeah. Um, what are what are your thoughts on um, Superior Spider Man Doc Ock? Um, I haven't read it yet. Um, I know. Uh, Dan's been doing a lot of a lot of fun stuff on the book, and and Ryan's a really great artist. Um, you know, I know there's all this outrage about what happened, and it's just like, I don't know. Part, part of me gets it that people want their Spider-Man, but at the same time, this is this this, and this is what goes back to what we talked about, Tony. This is the difference between what comic books were and what comic books are, and 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 needing to figure out either the happy medium between or go one way or the other. Because what Dan's doing is serialized storytelling. He's telling a big, cool story. You know, you can't imagine that this is how it's going to stay forever. Doc Ock is cannot possibly stay in control of Peter Parker's body. You know, for the for from here on out, because that's like saying that. You know, did anybody think that when you know Blue Spider, I mean Blue Superman emerged, <laughs> that that was always going to be the way it was, or when Sp- Superman died, that he would never come back? You know, I mean, I, I think we kind of know that. You know everybody's kind of the phoenix in the comic book world. So there's always this getting back to the kind of getting back to the status quo. Um, so I think he's just having fun. I think he's just trying to tell different stories and, and, and that's what you need to do. You need, you know, you need, you need, you need books that do that. I mean, that's what helps. I mean, I, I guarantee you that everybody who was interested in want, and, and is excited about it is still picking, still picking up the book. And I bet there's a lot of people who hate the book, that are still picking up the book just so they can complain about it or see what's going on. Or so, I mean, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Like it's drawing attention and it's telling a cool story. And you know, I like, it's funny. Like I actually really liked the, the, the clone saga story. A lot of people didn't like that. I loved it. Yeah. Cause you know what? It was different. It was cool. You didn't know what was going to happen. Like it was like, it was kind of this, again, it's like this all bets are off kind of thing. And it's like, wow, that's so crazy. You know? Um, uh, so I, I don't really get, I don't really, I don't really get it when people get all up in arms about something happening in a comic book that they don't like. That's, some people just don't, don't, they don't think about it in terms of that. But speaking of the clone, the clone saga, and people are listening are going to be tired because I, I always go off on this rant because I loved Ben Riley, mm-hmm. and I refuse to believe that he's dead because he was a perfect clone. He didn't have that defect that made his body decompose, mm-hmm. and just because he dies his body decomposed that does not make sense 
Well, and that's awesome. Well, look, I mean, the honest truth is, you know, everybody's alive in a certain extent. There's no one that's dead, dead. I mean, I think once they started, once they brought, I think, I think we believed it, not believed it. I think we, I think there were firmer lines in the sand until Bucky and Jason Todd came back. Once Bucky and Jason Todd came back, I think that was where they were like, okay, so this is just, it's just a, you know, it's just whatever, right? You know, and that's why, and it's unfortunate because now when you have stuff like, you know, Human Torch dying, you know, or, or whatnot, like it just doesn't have the impact because people know that it's not going to last because it doesn't even last a long time now. Wasn't human torch back within a year. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hickman did a great job with the repercussion, all that, but I mean, I I think ever, I mean, I predicted it and a lot of people predicted it's like, you know, you count the number of issues. It's like, okay, you know, he's going to be back for, I I think it was issue 600, you know, they're, they're going to, or I don't even know what, what, what issue. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they're, they're going to time it to some, some big event. So like with, with Spider-Man, I, you know, because it ships twice monthly, I said I, I could almost see this going two years. You know, a lot of people that don't, that, that might be too long. But if we're talking two years, that, that could potentially be like close to 50 issues. So then they could revert it back to Amazing Spider-Man, you know, 750, you know, some, this big milestone. That in sync up possibly with the release of the next Amazing Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Know? And they can go back and do a new amazing. They'll do an amazing Spider-Man 750, and then they'll do a new amazing Spider-Man number one. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, it doesn't matter. You know, if you like the story, read the story. Like, if you don't like it, don't read it. Like, like I read books now that I'm like, I don't like this. And so, you know what? Sometimes I go back and I read old stuff that I loved when I was a kid. You know, I go back and read. I always go back to the Alpha Flight one. I loved Alpha Flight. I, I, if I could, if I could write any book at Marvel other than like a, an X-Men book because I love Cyclops and like Colossus and them so much, like I would write Alpha. I'd love to write Alpha. Because I just that book just connected with me at the absolute right time, and it was a great fun book to read. And you know, Sasquatch died, and you know, all these things. You know, these things happen, and it's cool. And it's like, yeah, when we get older, we kind of know it's not going to keep. You know, it's not going to stay constant. But look, at the the honest truth is, you know, James Bond movie. Do you like James Bond movies? Oh yeah. Okay. Do you ever think he's not going to make it at the end? Oh no. Exactly. You know, it's, so it's about the journey. So, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be a status quo. You know, he's going to, he's going to fail in some way, but he's going to succeed ultimately. And he's going to still be a tortured figure and he's going to be alone, but maybe he'll sleep with somebody or maybe he won't and have a nice quippy con- comment with M and they'll go off and, you know, and then, then, then there'll be another James Bond movie that can come out and you can enjoy those too. You know, I think that, you know, we get, we get so wrapped up in this stuff where it's like, you know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, their their stories are meant to entertain and meant to make you think. But like, if anybody thinks anybody who thinks that Doc Ock is always going to be Spider Man is crazy. Well, what I said is, um, be, because the idea is Doc Ock put his brain patterns into Spider Man and vice versa, and, and I don't see how that puts his his essence or his soul or whatever in there. So my my theory was this superior Spider Man is still Peter Parker. But because he has Doc Ock's memories, those are influencing him. So he thinks he's really Doc Ock in Spider-Man's body, but it's really Peter Parker. You can imagine it playing out like a split personality thing. He's going to have trouble and it's going to be the two sides competing for each other. And maybe maybe he goes a Jekyll and Hyde route. I mean, I don't know, but like it's cool, right? Yeah. yeah. And and that's where I'm going because um, we have a question from Spam, that X button. He said, if when Peter Parker comes back, the idea of him having Doc Ock's consciousness talking to him at times, taking over at random, would be an interesting twist, kind of like Moon Knight. Does it seem likely? 
And I, I'd say, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely, you know, going to play, let this play out and, and do something because it's been 50 years of Spider-Man stories and it's been great, but this is the, the opportunity to do something a little different. That, and, that, and that's the whole point. And that's what, that, that, that's what I think. I mean, I don't know Dan, but that's what I got to think he's trying to do is he's trying to just, you know, change it up and do something different and tell a different type of story. Again, you couldn't tell this Spider-Man won't, wouldn't be able to do the stuff he's doing if he was just Peter Parker. But you say like, you know what? He's actually Doc Ock. So now all bets are off. He mm-hmm. could kill somebody. Maybe that happens. And maybe that, and I haven't read it yet. So maybe he already did. I don't know. But, um, you know, it's like you can do things that you wouldn't let Peter Parker do because you can say like, well, it wasn't Peter Parker. It was Doc Ock possessing him. Like if, you know, it's like if Superman was infected by the red kryptonite, you know, he can, he can totally have a shot. I was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to reference Superman 3 uh, because it's such a movie. Um, he can totally drink, drink whiskey at the bar because he's under the influence of red kryptonite, you know. So, um, you know, it's like there's stories. They're supposed to be entertaining and fun and and make you think, hopefully, a little bit, maybe, but mostly just entertain a little bit of escapism. So um, I just, I, again, I go back to that. You think about all the new status quos that we have seen over the time, and none of them, you know, none of, they always go back. They always go back to what it is because it's all about going back to the archetype of what the character is. And at a certain point, in some way, it'll be Peter Parker's Spider-Man again, you know, because yeah. there aren't really any issues or stories that we're going to change everything forever Nothing will be the same again. Somebody dies for real this time. It's like okay, you know, it just doesn't doesn't doesn't, it doesn't happen. Um, Journey and in Soulfire and Superman Beyond, it totally totally happens, and it's totally like it'll never change. Uh, another question is um, so spam that X button says he's a I'm a huge Batman fan. Not sure how everyone feels, but I think the Talon arc would have been had better impact if it was done. Before the new Fifty Two, would it work? Um, I mean, the thing with with Batman is it's it's retained a lot of the pre New Fifty Two history. Mm-hmm. So i i don't I don't think that that would. I, think it matters. I, I really don't. I think that I think that bat, the Batman the Batman books and the Green Lantern books specifically, I think, have uh, had the smallest uh, change mm-hmm. or direction of all the dc books i think they because they were working for them and they 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 and they were very close to what they wanted those books to be not that all the other books weren't working but those books in particular were selling at a point which you don't you know if it ain't broke don't fix it but also were very core concept i mean jeff had jeff has green lantern on that core concept and scott has batman on the core concept and the other another batman writers as well but like they were kind of you know they were, you know, there's they they were kind of already set on this path that was working well. So it's like, why would you why would you mess that up? What do you think? Um, then the third question is, uh, like, so this, this guy he 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 feels Nightwing worked better when he was in Bloodhaven because he thinks Gotham's overused. Do you do you think Dick Grayson is better in Gotham or out in his own city? I think I would like to have him in his own city. I think I think he works better when he's there because it gives him his own sense of thing. I mean, and. And because the thing is, like, they need their own villains. I mean, it's like, because you can't, I mean, you can, but, like, you can't imagine a Joker story where Nightwing's going to beat the Joker. Because as soon as Nightwing beats the Joker, then Joker becomes a Nightwing villain. He's no longer a Batman villain because Nightwing has beat him. It's kind of like if, you know, if Darkseid went up against the Teen Titans and they beat him, like, then all of a sudden he's not a Justice League villain anymore. He's a Teen Titans villain because Teen Titans have beat him. You know, the smaller, the smaller offshooter the legacy character the sidekick once the sidekick beats a character then that's it you know 
I mean, it's that's. I mean, I mean, it's not that. In my mind, though, that's how I look at it. That's like you want to keep keep the villains who they are, you know, and, and keep them connected with the characters that they're, they're known for. It's not that it's not that Joker can't ever fight Nightwing or whatever, but however you do it, you have to do it in such a way that it's you know, if he does beat Joker or whatever, it's got to be in a way that's not really Joker getting beat or you know, it's a fluke. But then again, you don't want Batman to come save the day because then it's the Batman story, not a Nightwing story. And that's that's the trick. I mean, that's what's, that's why I also think getting him in his own city helps is because then you can make it more a quote Nightwing story and not a Batman story. Meaning the trick with when you're writing characters like this is if you formulate a Nightwing story that you could essentially pull Nightwing out and put Batman in, you're basically writing a Batman story. So you need to write a Batman a Nightwing story that only works for Nightwing. That's why the circus stuff and what Kyle was doing works so well because it's so connected to Dick Grayson. You know, Batman wasn't part of the circus. It's playing off a different notion, you know. And I think that the, the, you know, the, the brilliance, whatever you want to call it, of having, of having the whole talent thing tied to Dick Grayson as well allows for it to become both of theirs, you know, which is, which is a neat trick, you know, if you think about it, you know, as opposed to it being just something that's connected to Batman. Yeah. Um, so uh, Bob Zanub brings up, he said, I, I heard Glory got canceled. Do you see any possibility to make a comeback if the upcoming issues and trades um, produce better sales. Which book? Glory. Glory. That's uh, which book is that one? So that's um, it was a I, th- I think it was a Rob Liefeld character. It was through Image or Extreme, and um, Joe Keating. Um, okay. was okay. yeah. Um, if the trades do well, could it come back? Um, I think anything's possible. I mean, in, I mean, I'm not speaking for that book because I obviously have no clue. But like in terms of like. It's very likely that if a book does well enough in the trades, that can lead to further issues. Absolutely, but it has to do well enough to do it. You know, like um, you know, like when you do miniseries or when you launch new titles, like Journey or Minefield or any of them at Aspen or any book anywhere. It's like if the individual issues. I mean, it's it's math. If the individual issues don't make you money, you can't keep doing them because you will lose money, and then you won't be able to make any book because you have no money. But if the trades can do well enough to help make a profit that you can then go back and make more issues then you go back and make more issues so you just have to look at it that way so if enough yeah if enough people bought the trade of glory and there's enough demand for it you know a lot of the a lot of the vertigo books i know do better on trades and the trade market is what really you know propels them and gives them that longevity because none of the vertigo books sell gangbusters numbers on the individual issues and i mean gangbusters i mean they're not in the top 10 top 20 mm-hmm. they're in the 20s they're they're you know they're selling 20 30,000 copies which is good but part of the reason that books like, you know, Fables and Unwritten and all that, but part of the reason those books are able to stick around, I think, my own opinion, I don't know exclusively for sure, but from, my, from what I see is because the trade market for them is so strong. Yeah. And because especially that kind of, that, uh, what do you call it, that niche market, will you will, or that, that line, the vertical line in, in the market that they're going after, the people who read the vertical books, a lot of them like to, are, are people who don't read comic books and they yet they read Vertigo books and they read them on trades and they may not even know that you can go and get them you know in the single issue format at the comic book shop they may only think that oh wow they're you know they're they're quote graphic novels they're not comic books you know so they don't have that they don't they don't they, they might not even know it exists um okay um this is from I stay puffed so i don't know if if you're um current with um Wolverine and X-Men but um, so Kitty Pride and, and, and Iceman were, are, are, 
were sort of kind of hooking up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Which, is this in Wolverine and the X-Men or is this in the, the new, the new Bendis one? In, in, um, well, that's the thing. Cause, cause Kitty Pride's in, in, um, Bendis's book, but in, in Jason Aaron's, um, that's that's where we you know we saw a lot of the relationships and the the last issue it, it kind of made it look like maybe it they were going to decide it, it wasn't going to work but um, for me I I kind of had an issue like it, it seemed like there was an age a big age difference between them oh right because Kitty's still a teenager well I mean now she, I I think it, it's gotten to the point now where I mean, because she's at least 18, because I remember during Claremont's Extreme X-Men, I think she was working at a bar um, in Chicago, and I, I, I believe you only have to be 18 to serve alcohol, but to be a bartender, I, I can't remember if you have to be 18 or 21 to, to be a bartender and serve. So, I mean, she, she's, she's in her late teens, and she might be in her early 20s now. I don't um, know what like in the Marvel universe, either they may be different than our laws. So yeah, and then yeah, that's that's the other thing. So um, I stay puff says, has anyone at Marvel ever gone on record about the age difference? It seems a lot of people are, are off put on these two getting together. Um, um so it, it's because Bobby was like you know fifteen. He was probably like fifteen when he first joined the X Men. Yeah, and, yeah, but you can't really go with that because the honest truth is, if you're going with, if you're trying to I mean, look, all these characters would be 400 years old by now, you know, yeah. stuff that they've gone through and all the stuff that's happened. So they kind of get to that point when they hit like the 30 age mark, they kind of freeze and they mm-hmm. never really get older than that. If only so, that happened in real life. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have to think that it, oh man, I was an idiot at 30. I'm so glad I'm not 30 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't have a clue of anything. Um, uh, you know, I think it's, it's more, they probably just look at it that like he's 30 and she's 20, you know, or something like that, which isn't, you know, if my daughter was, 20 and dating a 30 year old I wouldn't be thrilled about it but it's not exactly illegal so I think you can't really look at the age thing because like again like you know Iceman's probably really 75 right now if you look at going back all the way back you know to when he first came on you know it's like he's probably 75 and Kitty Pride's you know and Kitty Pride's probably 45 so <laughs> so so they're totally fine because she's almost 50 um but uh yeah I, I don't know I, I, I don't I don't really you know, I just, I, just, I just always look at that. The teen characters are always like in their high teens and then the adult characters are always in their like late 20s, early 30s. I mean, that's how it always, I mean, unless it's specifically something to the character. I mean, that's just how it seems to be the way they always try to, you know, kind of compartmentalize the way these characters are. And then um, I Stay Puffs says, what's like the creepiest relationship um, that you can remember? I'm trying to think if there's, I mean... Well, I- this girl in junior high. Oh wait, he means in the because <laughs> um. you know a lot of that. That was a complaint a lot of people had about um, Doc Ock as Spider Man trying to hook up with Mary Jane. And the second issue that that just came out, it, it's kind of you know touched on, and you know it, it doesn't go as as horribly as people have feared. But um, I think the one that I kind of like got the ick factor up was. Uh, was Gwen Stacy and Osborne? I think that was that was kind of like, mm, yeah. That was that was to me that was kind of like Ugh. I'm trying to think I remember when that was kind of like icky. That I I think that would be the big one because it's just like yeah because it's just like a it's like it wasn't even like it was consensual but not really or wasn't she a teenager? 
It was it, it was so. I mean, that's the thing. It was so vague. I mean, they're definitely in their, you know, it was, it was post college or in their college years or or after. But, um, yeah. I mean, that's just. Yeah, that was that's the one I can remember. That really, I was kind of like, ooh. Yeah. You know? so, other than that, like, I think that takes the cake. Probably does. <laughs> so let, let's just hope that that was erased during um, one more day and brand new day. There you go. Um, Moy Jingo says in the DC universe, why is there only one justice league with all the planets and superpowered beings? Why are there not several justice leagues for different planets? Why doesn't Sinestro's planet have a version of just, I, I don't know. I mean, justice League is a, is a earth thing. And, um, America. Yeah. And and just the way Jeff Johns played it out, there there was only the seven members, and you know we, we saw a flashback where Martian Manhunter was possibly going to join it. That didn't go well, and it's right. just now they open the doors to others. But I, I think it'd be weird to have Justice Leagues on, on other planets. Well, and then call them Justice Leagues. But also, who says that there's superheroes on other planets? You know, no. I mean, you got Green Lanterns, but it though, but it could be it though. Yeah. You know, it'd be Sinestro and a a dude, and you know. Was he going to have his own version of Batman in the city? You know, I mean, it could be, some, it could be but again, it's like then then the Justice League isn't special because Justice League needs to be special. Yeah. Oh, here's a good question: In a DC universe, why do we only see magic on Earth? Why are there no aliens wielding magic? Uh, that is a good question. I never really thought about that. Yeah. You know, now with like Justice League Dark, you know, we got this whole little corner and all the magic stuff, and you don't really see like an alien. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, you don't. Um, I, it's because we're just so damn special as human beings. There, there's, there's some the, – the, the boundaries between the magical world and the New 52 world are at their weakest and on Earth, and that's why – I don't know. That's good. I like that. Kind of like Brightest Day, was the, Earth was the center of the universe kind of sort of in a way, wasn't it? Wasn't the whole thing about Brightest Day? It was like, it was like the, cent, the center point between the – was that the brightest day or was that blackest night? That was blackest night. Or was it brightest day too? I can't remember now. It's something about the earth being like integral, you know, like the, all of life, like the essence of life is centered in on earth. Yeah. That gets us to that. We're just so damn special, aren't we? That's we're right. Just, oh, we're just, oh, the earth is so special. Okay. Are there any storylines where a hero caused collateral damage and had to deal with it? Preferably DC, something like Batman accidentally running over someone in the Batmobile or Superman throwing a car at, at an enemy that kills people. Um, I mean, I, I can think of when Spider-Man and Doc Ock were fighting and then like bricks from a chimney or something fell. And then um, Captain Stacy pushed a kid out of the way and he was killed by that. Yeah. But in DC, I don't I mean, there's got to be something. I mean, there's because Marvel, you also have Civil War. And you know the fight with um, Nitro in, in Stamford, Connecticut. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, there's always stuff where people get hurt. I mean, and look, I mean, in Green Arrow, I don't, I don't know if I really dealing with the fallout, but you know, I mean, there were definitely people in danger when the whole Brightest Day thing was going on in Star City. You know, yeah. Uh, the cab driver that that nicks the assassin slits his throat when. Uh, uh, Green Arrow's chase him, so I, you could call that collateral damage. Granted, Green Arrow didn't shoot the person, but you know, yeah, um, I don't on that, it was just you know, it was collateral damage. There's just got to be. I'm, I'm sure there's other stories. I just I can't think of any. Yeah. Um, I got paralyzed. Oh. Something happened, and or in Superman Beyond when um Superman's fighting uh 
Lex Luthor's daughter and all those all the destruction that was being caused. Well, yeah, but that's 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 just the general destruction stuff. So you know, um, yeah, I guess it's not really like you know. It's, you can't really blame that on, on the hero. Like you can because if they weren't there, it wouldn't happen. But it's not like like Batman running someone over. Right. So. That would be something Batman run somebody over though. <laughs> um, Gers Gers as not um, says he, so. You recently discovered a podcast. Um, he wants to know if I follow Avatar: The Last Airbender or The Legend of Korra show. Have you ever watched those? No. I don't know anything about those. Um, I know. Airbender, there was the movie, the M. Night Shalalalaman. And I guess a lot of people didn't like it so much. I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. I, didn't I, see it. I, th- I did watch, I think I watched like the first episode of The Last Airbender, and, and I was going to, um, my daughter and I were going to watch it. She liked it, but, um, you know, her, her, her TV time is limited. You know, she really only watches like, you know, a couple episodes on Saturday and a couple on Sunday, and, you know, we get up early. And yeah. there's just so much to try to catch up. Like, like she really likes Batman Beyond. Um, you know, she, she, she loves that, but then it's also like, you know, young justice and adventure time. And so, um, I haven't gotten into avatar, so I can't answer anything about that. Um, these are the tough questions. So this, the second one is I have six series in my pull list, green arrow, animal man, swamp thing, saga, Hawkeye and gambit due to financial constraints. I'd like to get it down to two. My, my thought is keeping saga and Hawkeye because they have been consistently great, but I'm excited for Lemire's green arrow run. What are your thoughts? Have what's heard- number again? What are the, what is what are, what's his list? He's got Green Arrow for some reason. Um <laughs> the current one. Um Animal Man, Swamp Thing, Saga, Hawkeye and Gambit. Yeah, I you know, that's a tough one. Um well, I think he should just I, I you know, it would be cool to check out just Green Arrow cuz I bet it's going to be really really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But Fractions Hawkeye is really cool, so it's like I guess you could flip a coin or, you know, you could throw some darts to pick which Archer book he's going to read and make it kind of a game. And then, but Saga, I would probably keep, but you're going to lose Animal Man and Swamp Thing. Gambit, yeah. Gambit, did that was just start? Gambit's like, a, I, I think around like issue eight or, or eight? so. It's, it's, it, I hate to say it. I mean, I, I, I like um, James Asmus, but it, the, the book is okay. I mean, yeah. it, it's not like knocking me away, but it, you know, it's, it's not um, horrible or anything, but but yeah, compared to this list, I mean, that, that's that's tough. Um, yeah. Um, or you can you can take a bow and arrow and, and try to decide. That's what I said. You said, you said darts. Well, darts because I mean that's I was trying to say something you could actually because if the guy doesn't have a lot of money, he has to drop all but two titles. He probably doesn't have the money to go out and buy a bow and arrow. Maybe maybe he has some. Rent one. My daughter is just... actually going to take um, archery lessons this this summer. Oh really? Yeah, that's... she's because you know she you know she watched Brave and and all that and. She she has like a like a like a suction cup one and and this it's not a Nerf bow and arrow but she's got this other um like b- little bow and arrow thing it's pretty cool um the way it you know it, it shoots them but yeah she's got this big it's it's almost like a full size bow and arrow and um you know it's got the suction cups at the end and you know comes with a target and of course she's you know she's she's lost like you know one went flying over the fence the neighbor's yard and you know then they threw it back and so. Um, Spider Mac Seventeen. It says, assuming everyone absolutely despises a new identity superior Spider Man, who, in your opinion, would have made a better choice, or who would you like to see become next Spider Man? Um, but that's that. That's the thing is like people aren't despising it. I, I think it was like 
like the 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 third or fourth issue was like like the one of the top reorder books. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. What do you mean? Who else would you want to be Spider Man? Peter Parker's still Spider Man, like you said. You know, it's his brain, but it's still Peter Parker in a way. So it's like that's like saying, what what's the answer supposed to be? That oh, I'd really like to see you know. Scott Summers becomes Spider-Man. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Well, um, Dan sort of teased about um, Spider-Man 2099. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so people were like, oh, is he going to come? But then later he did say, yeah, he is going to, um, that character, uh, Miguel is going to, or is it Miguel? Miguel O'Hara? Yeah. He, he is going to show up somehow. But um, Spider-Man 17 says, in my opinion, I think it should have been Batman. No, not Bruce Wayne, just Batman. <laughs> he is wearing two costumes. That's very cumbersome. Yeah, that's the thing. Is is like um, uh, under the red hood, where you know Jason Todd's back, and you know he he's he's got the the helmet on, takes the helmet on, and then he's got the the little um, mask underneath. Right. <laughs> so it's just like really, you need two of them. So it's like a stack in an airplane where he pulls off the glasses. He's got to be dramatic, and he's got another pair of sunglasses underneath him. Yeah. Dating myself, but then like that was that was cracking me up. Um, a question from Nellius Prime. I I don't. It it deals with the last page of of, of Sam Humphrey's Uncanny X Force. Um, I don't. I don't. Uh, I I kind of don't want to spoil it, even though it's it's been a couple weeks. But he says, "Would I consider?" And I, I don't know if you you read it, but it says, "Would you consider the last page an act of narcissism?" Um. I have not read it, so I don't know. I don't want to give away to the spoiler. I mean, by saying that, it might be giving some things away if, if people know, you know, if, if they're figuring it out. But uh, uh, I'm going to say maybe not. It's just it's just weird. Um, Tyler Typhoon says, do you think Hawkeye could get his own solo movie? Uh, no, I think he'll, if anything, he'd get his, he, if anything, I think he would become a big part of the, they would try to bring him into the shield show. If the shield show goes and does well or doesn't do well and they need to beef it up. I think that it would be a good spot to put him on in. I don't think they would do it a, a solo movie for him because I just think that I don't, I mean, in a perfect world, that'd be great, but I just don't know the way hollywood works i just don't know if they would they would go that way you they, know they should do a, a movie with him and and black widow since you know they they referenced i think it was like budapest or you know something happened and you know yeah. and and you know who doesn't want to see scarlett johansson on screen again so if you're gonna get those guys in a movie and then the price that they're gonna cost you it's like you could easily just get i mean i think they would do another avengers movie with not as many of the big guns or, or you know once they can't get robert downey jr anymore to iron man and they get, you know, they go away. You know, they get a new a new a lineup, if you will, and they get some new actors to come in and play different characters. And you can keep Renner and and Scarlett Johansson, and you know, then you do that. Yeah. But I, I I think more likely would be them to um, not even be able to get Renner and Johansson to do it, but just be able to have Hawkeye and Black Widow featured on um on the Shield television show. Yeah, that's gonna be interesting. How how that show? I don't know what to expect from it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it'll be curious to see what they go after. It'll be curious to see what the villains are and what they're fighting. Like, if it's, like, them against Hydra, it'll almost be like a G.I. Joe versus Cobra kind of thing. You know, all the time, is that what they're going to do? Or are they going to have villains from the Marvel Universe that they're going to face off against? But you got to be careful because then if you have, you know, because they always got to think of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, You know, you can't really have them beat, 
you know, the masters of evil, Baron Zemo or whatever, if you want to have a whole movie with them being the villain. You know what I mean? It's like, so you kind of got to, I got in a big argument one time working on this project because uh, we were doing web stuff to support a, a show and we we're coming up with storylines and they wanted to do one of the one of the writers for the for the web thing wanted to do this this storyline that which was going to be be taking a character from the television show and doing something like big with it. And I'm like, "Well, no, you can't do that. Like you got to save that for the TV show. You don't want to, you know, that would be like having a Man of Steel movie and then having a sequel to the Man of Steel movie that's going to tie into everything that's going on there happen in the comic book or on the TV show to then feed back into the movie." Like I don't know. I just, I, you know, you always got to think, you always got to think of stuff like that. I think anyway, when, when I think Hollywood has to think about stuff like that when you do it. So it's like, if you know, the same way of like, you know, they got to be careful. It's probably why they've never, it's the same way they never brought Batman onto the, you know, the Smallville show. Right. Uh, yeah. Right? right. They never did. Right. No, they didn't. Right. Which you would think would be a no brainer, but it's like, no, we need to save that. It's special. And we need to, we need to protect our, you know, protect our interests in that regard. So I think that you'd be hard pressed to find them to use, marquee things on a on the smaller on the smaller scale not that tv small scale but smaller than the features so well maybe someday we'll see a lost spark movie that'd be fantastic that'd be i would love that that would be great so all right um do you have anything else you want to push um no i mean that's that's a lot of what's going on right now um no i i just that's that's it i don't you know Go Kings. Let's watch some hockey, everybody. everybody you know, should be, people should be watching more hockey. I think that's about it. Yeah. And, and uh, get off of that, uh, you know, that bland taste in beer, Tony, and get some good craft beer stuff in your system. That'd be better, too. You know, you got you to think about what you're putting in your body. We, we gotta, when's the next convention you're going to be at? Uh, WonderCon? Okay. Because I, I, I should be there. I mean, it's, it's I'm pissed off that it's not in San Francisco because that's literally two blocks from our office here. But um, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I, you know, I'll fly down to Anaheim for that. So actually, maybe coming up, I'll be coming up to San Francisco at some point. So when I do, maybe I can come by the offices and we can uh, do a, a video podcast. Definitely, so. yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, great. Okay, and 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 we'll definitely have to have you on on here again because we we didn't really touch on on a lot of the, the questions because we just talk so much about you and other stuff, which which is great. So um, definitely have to have you on this show again sometime. Absolutely. So, um, so you have Soul Fire should be the next issue should be out. Soul Fire Four should be out in a couple of weeks, uh, and then April seventeenth is Journey Number One, and then I believe the following week in comic stores, or you can or pre-order it now through your comic shop, and May seventh uh, through Amazon and, and other booksellers, um, The Lost Spark. So, okay. So, so. If you want to please pre-order the book, especially The Lost Spark. Um, because uh, that'll help us with our. Uh, it'll just help out. It's, it's, for, it's the, for the pre-order numbers. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, JT. So we'll definitely talk soon. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Okay. Okay. Thanks again to JT for joining us. And make sure you check out his stuff. Pre-order his books. If you have any questions for the podcast, you can ask on the Ask G-Man video questions forum on the or thread on the general discussion forums. Or on Twitter, you can at reply me, G-Man from Heck. Use the hashtag AskGMan. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with, I don't know yet, somebody else. So I'll talk to you next week. So, so my, question my question is, is who could it be? We don't know. And I would like to ask you which comic book does affect you most emotionally. Yeah. Yeah.
That's the question. I'll shake your head. I love Alan Davis. This is a John Byrne issue. I love Alan Davis. I, I, I wasn't a fan of this. That's the question. You can't blame the immediate creative team. I give this a two. <laughs>